So, you know how you always say this is not a baseball podcast? Well, it's about to be. I've been known to say that from time to time, yes. I would say maybe once an episode on average. Yeah, maybe somewhere around there. And last week it was certainly a baseball. Or was that the Philly episode? That wasn't last week, the week before. Yeah, that that gets a pass. That's okay. Now, maybe this isn't a baseball podcast per se, this episode, but what I'm about to talk about right now is very relevant to what, you know, we are what we want at least and it's relevant to pearl jam damn it it's relevant to pearl jam so riddle me this batman the 2016 world series was won by whom that was won by the chicago cubs correct they beat the cleveland indians in seven games to win that in a thrilling seven game uh game seven with with a rain delay and and all craziness and extra innings. That was one of the best baseball games of all time. Now, answer me this. Who, where, was the last place that Pearl Jam played on their stadium tour in 2016? That would have been Wrigley Field. Ah, a little let's play too here. Yeah. So, hmm. here's where we're connecting. Okay. Now... The 2018 World Series champions were? That would be the Baston Red Sox. And the last show of the away shows was in? Fenway Pack, dude. Ah, ah, I see a trend. There's a trend here. I see a trend. So, in 2019, the last show of whatever stadium tour they're going to do will be held in? Let's pray. City Field? City Field. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, probably not. Even if it is, the, the Mets are going like 60 and, and 120 or something like that. <laughs> oh, you're you're not even going to give him 77 like this year? Okay, I'll give him 72. All right, all right. Play the intro, dang it. I'm, I'm glad you guys went for this one. This version of Deep is fucking oh, incredible. It's so good. It is. It is Holy really moly. Good. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. Once again, everybody, and welcome to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience. For the 10th time, hopefully it's the 10th time you're listening, it's the 10th time we're talking 
So it's your 10th opportunity to listen. Uh, it's Randy Sobel and Matt Helbig here again. Hi. How are you, sir? What's up? I'm good. Good. Are you ready to talk some Pearl Jam today? Uh, yeah. Around this time of the week, I'm, I'm usually ready to talk some Pearl Jam. I'm, I've gotten into a routine, a schedule here. I was about to say it does feel routine. It, it's you know it feels like every week we're we're uh, you know around Saturday or so researching the shows and taking notes and then uh, really digging in once uh, once this day comes along. So uh, it's been something I've been looking forward to, and I think you have as well. Ten episodes now, though. That's uh, a semi uh, you know landmark there milestone. I'd say so, and. Uh... I like how we're bringing in the the tenth episode with, uh, with a live Pearl Jam show that really uh, has nothing wrong with it, and uh, we're going to be gushing over it the whole time. I think. Yeah, you're uh, you're tuning in today to listen to Atlanta Night Two, 1994. It's the first time that we're diving into the '90s, and I think it's a good time to do it because we've. We've gotten a lot of shows that, that we've both been to off our chest and shows that, you know, we like the Amsterdam show and the Berlin show. At least Steve was at the Berlin show. But we we knew kind of the idea of what what they were doing at shows at the time where it was. But not in 1994. Like we were just, you know, just a couple of years after we were crapping our pants. This, this is we're we weren't listening to Pearl Jam at this time. And if we were, it wasn't for more than a minute or two, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is a cool show because it's, you know, there's not a lot of material there and the set list is very different and it's a lot of fun and they sound different, not in a bad way. They sound different in a, in a great way. They sound great still today. It's just different. And you guys are, are going to hear it because we have some clips to play as always and some stuff to talk about. So I think, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting when, when you're going back, especially covering this, but you know, for the listener as well, if, if you've been listening every week, um, you know, I think it's interesting going back to see kind of how they've been doing certain shows in certain years. And this time period was really, um, you know, I'll, I'll say it once more later. Uh, I, I felt like it was a turning point from, you know, right about that time where they were about to get into Vitalogy. And, you know, if there was a time where anybody figured out who Pearl Jam was live, it was probably this night because this was a free brick radio broadcast for um, radio stations to syndicate all around the country. And as uh, we have a guest on today who experienced uh, listening to the radio program, his name is John Farrar, and he was one of our, our patrons. Um, and he'll t- he'll talk about all about that time period and and what it was like listening to that broadcast too and and bringing some really cool perspectives of that. But man, um, just just such an interesting time that really marked a change with the band. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we forgot to mention uh, right up front this this is also uh, besides being episode ten, it is a Patreon episode, mm, yes. which is cool. Our first one. Uh, hopefully our first one of many. I don't mind doing it with the same people over and over again if they want to keep donating. But uh, you know, we, we'll we'll mix it up too. So I'm 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 pretty excited. Yeah, and he, you know, just uh, emailing with him a couple times, he seemed like he was really excited too. So I'm 
I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say. Um, I did want to mention something before going forward, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. First, first things first, um, during the Philly show, I promised somebody that I would mention something, and I didn't do it during the Philly show. I didn't end up doing it dur during the Reading show, uh, but remember it now. Um, so while doing some research for the Philly show, we stumbled upon uh, a guy named Andrew, and he he won a bid for the Spectrum S when they were selling off all, the, auctioning off all the items that were from the Spectrum. He won the Spectrum S, and what he's been doing for the last nine years is he's been going to events around Philadelphia, and he's been getting, you know, performers and entertainers, executives, Flyers players, Sixers players to all sign this huge giant S. And uh, he messaged me and he's like, hey, is there any chance that um, I can come on and talk about it? And I said, well, you know, we're not going to cover any of the other Philly shows anytime soon. Maybe, maybe we get back to it next year during the Halloween since it's going to be the 10-year anniversary and everybody loves that. Uh, third show, so maybe that's something that we harp back to then, and we 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 do that third show, and you you can come on and talk about it. But I told him we'll we'll promote your stuff. So um, if you go on Instagram, if you go on Facebook, if you go on Twitter, he has and he has a website too. He has all these amazing pictures with anybody that you can imagine that has even stepped foot in the spectrum. That's been a big enough name has signed this S, uh, you know, not just, not just Pearl Jam members. Cause he has, uh, Jeff, Jeff and Mike have both signed it. And that's part of why he got in touch with me. He is looking to complete his goal to have all five band members, uh, be a part of this with six band members. Can't forget boom, uh, to be a part of this. So he needs both, uh, boom and Matt and Eddie and stone to all chip in on this. So, you know, I, again, if they are listening, which on our stats, I've been able to see that somebody from Seattle is listening. And uh, Is that you out there, Stone, listening in? <laughs> Stone, if, if anybody would be, oh man, we should rank it. I, I would say Mike would be number one for me. I would say Mike, then Jeff, then Stone, then Boom, then Eddie, then Matt. Of course, I don't want to, you know, if Matt's the one listening, you don't want to offend him. I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, no, no, I, I don't know. Something, something tells me I feel like Jeff would be the, would be the last member. I, I don't know why. Um, Jeff is really interested in his brand though. And he, he's interested in what the fans have to say. But, but I think Jeff is also interested in, he's got, a, I feel like he's got a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. yeah. You know, when, when Eddie's doing the dad thing and when Stone is out, you know, uh, harvesting his hemp or whatever he does when he's not, um, I could see him listening to it. Uh, of course, no disrespect to anybody in the band. We, we love each and every one of you uh, equally. I just, uh, uh, yeah, I got to mix that up a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe Boom would be last for me. I don't know if Boom knows how to listen to podcasts. Oh, that's, that's, that's not nice. It's just because it's an old joke. Sorry. He's old, but he's awesome. We love you guys. But he's an Islander, too. Like, they don't care about technology, you know? Yeah. So, um, anyway, so Philly Spectrum S, 
on all the social media platforms. You get to see all these amazing photos of guys in the E Street Band. You got guys from uh, the old Flyers teams in the 70s and uh, the Sixers teams in the 80s. Um, who else? Uh, Hart. Um, guys, uh, Trey Anastasio Fish. from Fish. Yeah. Mike Gordon, uh, all those guys. Yeah. I'm tons, tons of different performers that have been there. Uh, this is not a wrestling podcast, but Razor Ramon signed it too. There you go. You know, uh, it's just Steven Tyler. Yeah. It's cool to see. And if you have any connections to anybody that might've, uh, played, performed there at one point, you know, get in touch with him. He's got over 100 signatures. He's got some space left. I'm sure he would be greatly appreciative if you, you know, hooked him up with somebody and he got another autograph out of it. So, yeah, check it out. Philly Spectrum S on all social media platforms and you get to see some amazing photos. So, Matt, what did we do this weekend? This weekend, we went to a, a little live music venue by where Randy and I grew up on Long Island called 89 North. It's in a town called Patchogue. A really nice town, a lot of nice places to go and eat and drink and have fun. So we went and uh, we saw a night of music, which consisted of Drive, the Cars tribute band. Was it Nerve? Was it Nirvana? Yeah, Nirvana. Nirvana. Yeah, they They were were all awesome, by the way. Oh, they were were an, uh, uh, an incredible Nirvana a tribute bands really really fantastic and then closing the night we saw last exit which is a pearl jam tribute band i've known the stone in last exit for years now uh, i got to catch up with him i haven't seen him in a long time uh, i thought they killed it i thought they did a great job the sound was amazing yeah uh i agree I, look yeah that was the first time i'd ever i'd ever seen them um oh yeah i should mention i i have seen them before uh i haven't seen them in a few years though so it was nice to to be able to go and see them again yeah buckley said he saw him a bunch of times too him and gianna were both there we were hanging out i'm sure if you were on facebook that night you probably saw that we were going live with uh some clips every now and again um 21 song set too and they threw in some really cool stuff but not only that they they did all verses which is that was just it was a fun experience just to hear all of it because i mean for pearl jam to do more than a couple of songs from verses in a night um you know they're not gonna do dissident and blood and wma full wma at least and um glorified g and all those that consist of really high-pitched eddie wailing um a lot of those songs have become rare in this day and age and to hear and i know they did greenville um in south carolina and they did the verses show then but man I give a lot of credit to Pete and the guys uh, last weekend. They've done it a couple of times for, for doing verses in full like this, because that is just, it's got to be so straining on your voice. They were doing it to support, I guess, the anniversary, right? What was it, 25 years? Yeah, um, and that had happened a couple of weeks before that, yeah. Right, so I think they had done almost the same set with the little changes. Uh, I think it was... A week or two before they had done it at 89 North, and I thought it sounded great. I I had a blast. In many ways, it was like seeing Pearl Jam because 
we were going crazy for every song like we would if we were at an actual Pearl Jam show. So it was a lot of fun. I had a, had a great time. They sounded great, and I recommend them. They do travel around. If you go onto their Facebook page, you could see their you could see their upcoming shows and stuff. And I'm sure once we get into into this set, we'll be able to come back and talk about some of Last Exit's performances too, especially with things like WMA and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, for all you New York area people, I mean, I wish I wish we were able to travel out to everybody that. Um, uh, comes to see us or comes to listen to us, I should say. Uh, but you know, we're New York, we're New York, Connecticut, Boston based essentially. So if you're in the New York area, I believe the date is January 12th. There is a grunge Palooza show where last exit is going to be part of it. Um, not the same Nirvana band, but a different Nirvana tribute band is going to be there. A Stone Temple Pilots tribute band, a Foo Fighters, uh, a Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. So it's a big night, Gramercy Theater in New York City. Uh, we're going to be there supporting the, the show. Um, I hope, you know, that we can get a good crowd out there and it can be a bunch of us and we can just hang out and talk Pearl Jam. Um, we'll talk about that sooner, you know, as soon as it gets to us, but, you know, that's definitely something we want to do. We would, we do want to schedule a meetup for that. I'm going to mention one more thing before we mention one more thing. Uh, I know all your secrets, people out there. I know who's listening, not specifically, but due to our wonderful statistics within SoundCloud's website, we are able to go in and see who around the world has been tuning into live on four legs podcast. And it's, it's an interesting venture. Um, and I go in and I'll, I'll look at it constantly because it's just something I'm very interested in. You can see what countries they're coming from. You can see, uh, what cities and States are coming from. So, um, you know what, what I want to know, because I, I do see consistently, I see the same places, I want to talk to you from those places. I want to see how you're liking the show if you're continuing to listen. So maybe we do this once once a show. We, we name a location and say, hey, if you're in this location, you know, come and say hi to us. Shot, shoot us an email. Let us know how, what you're thinking about the show. Because we, you know, it, it's hard to judge through Facebook. We have our Facebook uh, uh, fans that that we know through um, uh, through Boston, and there are a couple other people that we've gotten in touch with, uh, you know, to do merch and stuff like that. But um, you know, we, we just want to reach out. We we, we want to know who's listening, and we'd love to know who you are. And kind of, you know, as as we do at the end of the show every week, we uh, we want to know your stories. So. I think that's a good idea, Randy. So how about you do this? How about you close your eyes, scroll <sighs> scroll a few times, and pick a, pick a spot right now. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, Green Bay. Are there any cheese ads out there? <laughs> All right, so if you're in Green Bay and you're listening... And we know that you are because it comes up on our on our live on four legs 
stat tracker. And it might be like a town outside of Green Bay. Right, right. Or something like that. If you're close enough to the area where you think that's gonna that's where it's gonna be pinging from, uh shoot us an email and just uh, say hi. Say hi. We and we'll you know what? I think this is a good idea, Randy, because we do stories at the end and maybe yeah. we could we could do a, a pre show uh hi how you doing email from from this the city that we pick. I think that's a good idea. So yeah. So Green Bay, show show some love. And go Packers. Oh, go Packers. <laughs> uh, let's talk Christmas. We got Christmas stuff coming up. It's coming up. Or man, I I can't even go into tar- I can't even go into Target anymore. I'm, I'm just bombarded by it. Every- My- I will say though, when you turn on the TV and there's like a, a Coles or Macy's commercial and it's all the holiday savings and stuff, you feel good. You, you don't want to admit that it's on its way and you think it is too early, but the commercial ends and you're like, I think I need to go make some hot chocolate and put my robe on right now. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm i a mush that way, though. I get I get put into a really good mood. Well, you know what? You, you know, the picture I sent you a week ago, um, uh, since we're all in and moved and, you know, um, my I don't know if you guys I don't think I've shared this before, but I have a. Um, a large, large, large Funko Pop collection. Um, Randy's, like this, the, Randy's the Funko Pop dude. And I think it, it, it's funny because I have as many Funko Pops or close to as many as you have vinyls and vice versa. You have like the same amount of Funkos that I do vinyl. So everyone put that into perspective. Between Randy and I, there are about... 50 million vinyl records and Funko Pop action figures. <laughs> I was, I, I'm, I'm closer to about 500, but slight, slight exaggeration. But yeah. It's, it's but, well, I've, I think I have around a thousand records right now, but it's not, it's different because I've gotten a lot of, you know, $1, $2 things. Right, so, yeah. so it, it, it evens out, but and you have doubles too. We are, we are huge collectors. Randy and I are, we're collective collectively collecting personalities yes Yes. it keeps us going um but i sent you that picture and i had bought like a bunch of the new uh star wars christmas uh pops um it was an r2d2 you can't say that you didn't feel warm and fuzzy inside when you got that christmas stuff right oh i mean like i want it, it was released um i the photos were released in like august and i wanted it then and I got really excited for it. And this is this is from somebody who's really s- celebrating his second Christmas in true. 30 years of living. Uh, <laughs> last year was the first time that we put up a tree. Uh, the year before that, I, I celebrated and got presents from uh, my fiance's family. But that was really the first time that I had ever been involved. And then we did the ornaments and the stockings and everything last year. Now this year, I'm like, oh, that's what you do. Oh, this is fun. I want to be a part of this. Yeah. And so I went out and I, I'm still trying to buy all of the, the Christmas pops that came out, including Mr. Hanky. Yeah. So it's it's different than when people put up, uh, say, uh, Nutcrackers. You put up the Christmas Funko Pops. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying anything because because you are Jewish and mm. Hanukkah is a, a, a beautiful holiday and celebration. Yeah. So uh, I'm just speaking as somebody who has always celebrated Christmas. That that it, it is great. But Hanukkah is great. Kwanzaa is great. It's all great. And uh, everyone have fun 
with your holidays or your holiday decorations or your holiday shopping because I, I know people that are finished already. It's amazing. So speaking of holiday shopping. I was going to say, this is all going to, don't worry, everyone. This is going to tie into something. It's leading in. Um, if you're a Pearl Jam fan and you're looking for a gift for Christmas, what do you think would be the perfect holiday gift for somebody that is crazy about Christmas and crazy about Pearl Jam? How about some sort of Pearl Jam-inspired ugly Christmas sweater? Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Oh, I might have already known the answer, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're, we can't be that discreet come on i mean we've been talking about this for months um yeah so in about maybe a week or two time i think we want to try to get this done before black friday or on black friday we're we're gonna open up another store it's not gonna have very many items in it um what it will have though is it will have a red ugly christmas sweater uh, with Santa Claus on it, reading from a Christmas wish list with all of the wish list items in the song. So you see Santa reading through, it says, I want to be a neutron bomb. I want to be the shining light off your Camaro's hood. I want to be this and that and uh, the stars and all that stuff. And uh, Matt has already mocked it up. It looks awesome. We're going to make it really Christmassy, and uh, we're going to make it really cheap as well, and we're going to put the proceeds to this all towards a charity for uh, a children's hospital, which is still uh, pending, but our big holiday adventure, so to speak, is um, going to come at some point in December where we're going to run wild on Target, take all the money that we've made, Patreon and through this store and everything like that, and we are going to do a live video and we're going to show you what's there. And if you say, "Hey, buy that Lego set," we're going to go. We're going to buy that Lego set. And we're going to go and and donate it to a bunch of kids who need it for Christmas. Yeah, I think that's uh, the best way to spend the money that that we've been making because we always said we weren't going to take it for ourselves. So uh, let's uh, spend it on some some kids that. Uh, might not be as fortunate as as we are. Yep. Uh, so the ugly Christmas sweater, the wishlist sweater. I I really think a lot of people will get a kick out of this, and um, soon enough we'll we'll post the the graphic of it so you guys get an idea of of what it is and what we're what we're going for, and you guys get excited about it too. So um, and also uh, all your store orders should be uh, arriving shortly if they haven't already yes. by the time this episode comes out. So be on I the lookout. I would hope that they've arrived by Friday. Yeah. They yeah, were sent off so, last Friday. So. Yeah, yeah. It might take a little bit longer for all those uh, California California listeners like Sal. But uh, what's up, Sal? Actually, I did two-day shipping for Sal. Yeah, because it was only 30 cents extra. Oh, perfect. We hope hope you're enjoying it. So Yeah. <laughs> um, but, hey, if you if you got your stuff in, Share share a photo with us. We want to see you uh, you loving your merch. I love it. I've been wearing my sweatshirt all over. It's oh, great. it's so comfy. It's so nice. Love it too. Um, we'll have like one or two other items in there. They'll they'll be smaller items. We're we're thinking about a dog shirt. Um, I was thinking like pilot. I have a dog, but then you said, well, we're live on four legs, so we should do something 
four legs. I feel like this one's going to take a lot of thought. Yeah, there's an idea in there. There's just so many dog puns out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with something, because I know there are a lot of dog lovers out there, and I, I think you'll really like this, too. Keep an eye out on it. Um, you know, within the next couple weeks, I, I want to get it out before Black Friday. It's not going to be available for long because we do want to ship and make sure it ships, you know, so you have it uh, well before Christmas. Um, I know I, that was the goal for Halloween and it didn't quite work out that way, but... Uh, it was our first time. It was exactly. Like we were getting into it, so... Exactly. So we're, we're going to make sure of it. So let's... Um, I'm going to give the mic to you. Talk a little bit about Patreon here and, you know, just keep in mind today that today's our Patreon, Patreon show. Uh, John's our first patron that is uh, reaping the benefits from coming on our show. And, you know, this is all going to awesome causes. So, you know, even if it's really a minimal amount, if it's five dollars, it will help us and we will love you for it. Five bucks, that's a toy for a kid right there. Exactly. Exactly. Just think of it that way. It's not going to us. It's going to someone else. Live on Four Legs wants to bring you guys the best listening experience. We also want to bring you guys fun stuff to enjoy, like more episodes and merch. So we're looking to raise money through our Patreon page to keep our store up and running. We're going to be adding some amazing merchandise for the listeners. And we're also going to be donating a lot of money to charity. We're not asking for a free handout, and we're not taking any profits. For every donation, there will be prizes and incentives, so let's get to those. $40 donation, you will receive an exclusive Live on Four Legs t-shirt. Those are the t-shirts that we put up in our store and that we feature every month. You'll also get a Live on Four Legs sticker, a shout-out on the show, and the really cool thing, an opportunity to pick an episode. You'll tell us which Pearl Jam show to cover, if it's one you wanted to go to, if it's one you like to listen to, or if it's one that you've been to that holds a special place in your heart. If you donate $20, you'll receive a special gift bundle consisting of merch from the 2018 Home Away shows. This bundle is big time while supplies last. They are going fast, and once we get close to reaching our goal or open up our store, we will mail those out to you guys. That also comes with a Live on Four Legs sticker and a shout-out on the show. If you donate $10, you get a special shout-out on the show along with a Live on Four Legs sticker, a Live on Four Legs print set, and a thank you letter from Randy and I. If you donate $5, you receive a Live on Four Legs sticker, a thank you letter from Randy and I, and also a shout out on the show. If you donate $1, you'll get a shout out from Randy and I on the show. So go check out our Patreon page, Live on Four Legs, become a patron, do a one-time donation, any little bit helps. Again, it all goes back to you guys, whether it be merchandise or charitable organizations. And for all of you people that... Uh are going to donate to Patreon in the future or have donated already, uh, here is what we offer you when you get the biggest package. Well, that sounded bad. Uh, <laughs> here's what we offer you with the $40 package. We offer you a chance to come on our show and talk about one of your favorite shows of all time. And that's what we hear, have here now. John Farrar, welcome to Live on Four Legs. And thank you very much. Oh, thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be here. And uh, you were in it from the beginning, and I had heard your name before from uh, listening to Single Podcast Theory, and it kind of it it was it was nice to to know that a lot, and and this has been happening a lot, that a lot of their hardcore fans have kind of translated to us as well, and and they've uh, kind of kept both of us in their hearts, and uh, you know from the beginning when you guys got when you got in touch with us, you 
where like I'm in, I'm sold, this is awesome, and you've helped us along the way too. And now here's your episode. Um, it's an honor to be the first Patreon guest. Um, I'm going to try to live up to the standard that you guys have set. I don't, I don't think we've set that high of a standard, <laughs> but, um, then you know, I'll, uh, we'll, just, we'll see how it goes. We'll just do a good show. I mean, yeah. it's the first 90s show and it's, it's good to have somebody who kind of grew up with us. You were, you, um, you said you were 16 at the time right? when the show happened. So this is really in your wheelhouse of when you're 16 years old, that's like, that's your prime music loving phase at least in my mind like tell what was what was what was it like being 16 year old john and being into music at the time it was angry and this was right up my alley (laughs) um yeah i remember you know this is kind of the first like full live pearl jam experience that i had if i'd been born a couple years earlier i might have been at this show um but you know being 16 i being going to downtown Atlanta just wasn't, I was up in the Northwest Georgia, so it wasn't an option, but I remember, you know, we had seen, you know, the Alive video, the Evenflow videos, the Saturday Night Live, things like that, but this was really the first full show that a lot of people my age had access to, so it was like, when they announced it, it was something that we really looked forward to. I remember staying up late, I think the show started late, I think it was supposed to start at 9 or something, it probably didn't start till 9.45. So I remember them stalling for time, like Pearl Jam's coming up any minute. Uh, had my cassette tapes ready, like stayed up till probably midnight, twelve thirty, uh, listening to the whole thing. Um, it was it was definitely a milestone experience. Now there was a lot of debate between everybody that's wrote wrote into us and, and uh, talked about the cassette tape thing. Um, how many cassette tapes did it take you to record this front and back? It was probably at least two, probably three. Okay. That makes sense because you you would think about a half hour each side. Well, I so think I was probably... doing ninety minute tapes. I was pretty hardcore into cassettes. Oh, whoa, I think I had hey. the I think I had the oh. ninety minute ones. Those cost about four bucks a piece at that point. Yeah, he he was not fooling around. That's right. With, uh, with his show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nor nor would I blame you. I, I mean, like this was it was such an important show in their time period. Um, you know, a lot of people say it's it's a turning point because, as we mentioned before, it was the last uh, last Pearl Jam show that Kurt Cobain was alive for, and we'll get to that more as we we go into it. But you know, it it really it it, it changed the landscape, like you said. You weren't at the show, but you and and thousands of other people were able to hear a live broadcast, and it was the first exposure of Pearl Jam Live to a lot of people. And I wonder if that was really the kickoff of the culture and having that culture be expanded to more and more people, country and and worldwide. Right. You know, if it wasn't for this, you might not have had self-pollution radio. You might not have had monkey wrench radio, things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll we'll get into all that stuff at at some point too. But um, did you have... Some sort of, you said you wanted to do a monologue beforehand, so I'm giving you the opportunity to do it now. <laughs> well, I want to say, you know, the reason I picked this show, because, you know, you guys are still at the beginning. I, I could have picked from 990-whatever shows, um, but this one is important, I think. Uh, it's kind of the end of the Versus era, the beginning of the Vitalogy era, uh, and we kind of, and you guys have done a lot of recent shows. We kind of have a kinder, gentler Pearl Jam now. And it's easy to forget how angry and like vital, pardon the pun, this stuff was 
back in the 90s. So I wanted to go back and it's, you know, I wanted to be the first one to go back and cover one of these shows where, you know, it's just full on one after another, bam, 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 like no, no slow burn. Let's just go. Um, the venue, the Fox Theater is a great venue. I've been there many times. Uh, it only holds about 5,000 people. They mostly do like operas and ballets. But every time I've been there, I always think about this show like, oh, that would have been so cool to see them here. Um, you know, at this time, the band had toured for about three straight years. So they were locked in. Um, no, you know, no missed notes. Every every note counts and every song's fast. So I'm excited to get into it. Perfect. And uh, except for the first song, they they do open up with release here. Um, and I'm holding it off and usually we'll kick off with the opener and we'll play a clip of the opener, but, um, I decided not to, cause I really love what they do with the second song. And it's something that you don't see nowadays. So I kind of want to bring it back into more discussion, but, um, they do open with, with the release and it's something that they've done since day one. I believe that Showbox theater show, they, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, off ramp. What am I talking about? That off ramp well, show. The Showbox is a good show too, though. Yes, yes, it you is. Gotta, you just got to jump ahead a couple of years. There. <laughs> uh, I did. Yeah, I, I did mean Off Ramp Cafe. Uh, that Off Ramp Cafe show, the first show ever, their first song was released. So it's it's something it's not something that they eased into as time went on. And, uh, you know, but release sounded a lot different back then. Um, while current live versions right now feel melodic and heavenly, uh, this has a touch of grit. And, you know, although Grunge can be a dirty word in a lot of people's minds, including my own. Uh, you know, there, it, it feels choppy. Like Stone Stone's riff here doesn't feel like that. Like I said, that melodical, heavenly kind of religious. I don't mean religious as in Catholic or Christianity religious, but like sort of that that vibe, that heavenly vibe to it. Um, it is very choppy and it's, it's, it sounds more grungy. Dave A sound stands out on this too. So did you see any differences between this release and Matt? You don't like release, but, um, well, no, it's, I, I don't not like release. Um, I, that's not I, how I, I see it. No, I, I like release. Um, it's just not, it's not one of my favorite songs. Okay. But, listening to this version as opposed to the current version of it, what it, what's your, your take? You know what I thought actually, remember when I had, I had texted you a few weeks ago when um, off he goes was being played in a bar and mm. I, I couldn't put my finger on why I, I never really liked the studio version of that song. And I said it was because it's such an amazing song and it's so different, but I, it always sounded like Eddie was doing, like a person doing an impression of Eddie and it, it, it wasn't, it didn't seem like he was naturally singing the way he usually does. It was just very, it was a weird performance. I kind of got that with this version of release, like the band and the, and the song and the music, it's really amazing. Um, it's perfectly paced. It, it sounds great. Um, but there are a little, there, there are little tiny little areas where, it sounds like Eddie's doing that Eddie impression instead of just being natural with it. it. Maybe it was because they're, you know, it's their opening song and he's figuring out the sound of the stage or whatever it was. But uh, I was like, oh, there it is again. That kind of 
Eddie Vedder impersonation instead of him just singing it along, and it reminded me of of how I how I uh, felt about Off He Goes, at least the studio version. Um, but besides that, that was it. I mean, I thought the the whole rest of the song sounded really good. Yeah, it's a little different um, than it is today, but honestly, this entire set and all the performances in the set, there are a lot of things that are very different, which I I like a lot of things. Uh, way more in this show than I than I do um, in present in present day. So um, it's it's not a bad thing. It's just a little weird. It's you know some parts are a little weird for me, but uh, besides that, I, I thought it was really tremendous, a tremendous performance. Now, John, you said you didn't like the slow burn open, but do you consider just release here going into rearview mirror? Do you consider that a slow burn, or do you just consider that it's just opening with release? I think it's just opening with release. Um, the slow burn, I think, is if you had gone release into wash or something like that, you would consider it a slow burn. But release into the second song is is just let's go. Um, and I think a lot of these songs have opened up over the years, like release especially. It's become kind of a more of a an event, a staple. A staple. Okay. I think yeah. At this point, it was still kind of kind of tight and closed in, and he was still kind of channeling that early energy of it. I agree with that, and and I agree with what you mean with the slow burn, how release, wash, even low light or something like that. But when it's just released into another song that's not as slow, uh, like in this case, it puts it into its own category. So you have slow burns, you have fast opens, and then you have a third category, which is the release open. It's its own thing entirely, I think, because it, it really sets a tone for the show different from really any other song they open with every time they do release it's it really sets a whole different vibe i think so release is like its own opening category for me it doesn't fall into slow burn it doesn't of course doesn't fall into a fast open it is it's 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 its own animal it sets the tone for sure absolutely and i think if release set the tone rearview mirror made the first imprint of the show because let's play it now because this is the second song in if you're a Pearl Jam fan since, you know, the 2000s, you think of Rearview Mirror and it's an encore song or it's a closer song. You're getting it at number two here. So let's hear it. And yeah, this is not something you'll hear nowadays. second song in the set to be rearview mirror feels insane when you're sitting here 
in hindsight and knowing what we know now, because again, this is your typical closer for a first set or an encore, but it's another sign of how they've changed things up over the years. And, you know, there are certainly better two whole songs, two whole songs. I say that as a baseball reference. This is not a baseball podcast <laughs> um, written on later albums. And the song's pop popularity and nostalgia has increased throughout the time to make it a more prominent song for a more prominent spot and and but now where you have two albums and a couple of you know future songs and a couple of b-sides here and there and maybe a cover here and there you get rear view mirror second and you are opening the show to just become insane hey randy screw nostalgia screw what we know now this is my favorite thing ever <laughs> Rearview mirror after release here. Uh, oh my! It, I I listened to it three or four times over. Uh, it is my favorite thing. I, That's what I I'm saying. It. I, I, I it. you know again, it's just it's something that you get comfortable with. It's something that you get used to. And and I think from when we did the Amsterdam show, there were things like State of Love and Trust being played fourth, and release being played, and, and release into Hell Hell and the Encore. Just things in different places that made it feel so much different. If they did Rearview Mirror number two nowadays, it would people would go nuts. And John, I know, uh, John, I know. At the time, you're listening to this at home on and taping this on cassette. What are you thinking hearing Rearview Mirror number two? Well, I think this is probably six months after Versus came out, and the thing that hits me is this is already so much faster than the than the studio version. And you're you're immediately like, you know, it basically turns it into a punk song, the, 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 pretty the, much the tempo. So that's the first thing that stood out to me. And it's it's even faster now. I was always one of the guys that always said that I thought it was way too slow on the album, even though it was, like I've said before in the podcast, one of the first songs from uh, Pearl Jam I had ever heard, and I I loved it immediately. I don't know if I've ever heard a better version than than this one. And again, this placement. I would I would take this every single show. Absolutely, it just it blew it blew me away. Blew me and, away. And you know what? Um, that's a theme. Last week our theme was pacing and how things were very evenly paced and subdued and mellowed away. And this show is the exact opposite. It is fast. It is angry. It is um, it is jump out of your seat excitement. The pacing in its own right on on this show, given it's you know they're very early in their career. The pacing on this show in itself is is amazing it just of course is very different from from what we get now but and i think that's i think that's why we're going to be um praising it so much too <laughs> and another thing we'll say the whole entire time is the crowd just goes ape shit song after song after song and eddie says that the next one goes out to everybody and it's not a song that too many people know at the time uh whipping and whipping as john has opened us opened up to us uh it was a demo off of verses and literally today was the first time i ever heard the whipping demo so thank you john of course uh and vitalogy was a couple months away from release at the time um but whipping had kind of become part of their live act since middle of 93 and 24 times played at this point the one thing i will say about this is i just don't like 
that plucky noise that Mike is playing, that boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, like, it, it just sounds like a really annoying droid. There's a bunch of spots in this show where they're, I think they're trying to figure out either how to play stuff that's on the album live, how to translate it, or they're just trying new things. Um, uh, I agree. I agree. There was a little, it didn't jump out at me at first. It was one of more of those things that it kind of sticks in your head uh, as you listen to the song and you're like, get out of there. What, what is that? Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. It was a little, a little annoying, but I can give him a break on that. You know, just, just kind of feeling things out too. It does sound cleaner now, and uh, and thankfully they did tighten it up for the album. But John, what do you remember a song like this, uh, you know, on a show like this that you're listening to on the radio, and then it becomes part of Vitalogy as you're listening to the cassettes over and over and over again? How excited are you to hear whipping on Vitalogy? Oh yeah, I mean to get a new Pearl Jam song at this point was like you couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah, and a good and a good song too, a fun song. Definitely. A, uh, uh, an interesting song. One of the faster ones, which I appreciated at the time and still appreciate. Right. And really, er, really early in the set too, which is, uh, you know, I guess they kind of had no fear um, with it and I, you know, it sounded good. So, and you got to think Vitalogy was maybe already even being tracked at this point. So they like maybe working something out, like definitely, you know, which, let's, well, let's give it a shot and see how it goes. And maybe they went in the studio the next day and, and busted it out. Absolutely, and we're we're gonna get into that also with uh with another song uh, later on in the set as well. So this was this a is couple a couple other songs, a couple of the songs. You're right. So it just adds to uh, the mystique of this of this show and how really cool it is. And this is how you know that this is a pretty early set when Even Flow is not in the Even Flow spot, and also Even Flow is a can't miss song instead of a bathroom break song, and. When you don't have enough songs to ease into the set, that's where you get even flow at number four. Again, you'd be a moron to leave for the bathroom during this. This is just an incredible performance. It's not a 10-minute Mike McCready solo saga, but it's tight as hell, and the crowd sounded really into it. Eddie sounds really into it. He really doesn't scream like that anymore. Another thing that we're going to say every other song, but man, does this even flow sound good, guys. And I love it here. I do. It's not its its not its spot uh, where, where it has progressed to, but it's its amazing. And the uh, one of the only uh, negative critiques that I have for this entire set is that if you just listen really close in the beginning, Jeff butchers. Uh, he miss he, he 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 plays something. I don't it, something from straight from hell. It was so it was so so bad. He immediately fixes it, but I was laughing. I was like, "Oh, Jeff." I was like, "It's your it's your absolute biggest song right now. Your biggest song." Uh but listen to it. It's it's really funny, and that's really the only negative thing I have to say about this whole show is Jeff's one little miss note. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh I mean, that's really that's digging down deep there. Um Yeah, yeah. I mean I d I didn't want to I didn't want to pass over it because it, it is there. And of course as a bass player I'm gonna hear that immediately. Uh so I thought I'd bring it up, but whatever. It's uh point five seconds of the entire song, which otherwise sounds absolutely flawless. So no problem, Jeff, no problem. Interested to know from you, John, that when you hear even flow when you're sixteen years old and, and I always feel like when I was 16, 15 years old, whenever I heard something live or on an album, like that was always became my expectation that, you know, later if I saw that band or, you know, 
even something stupid like the Bouncing Souls still play now, but when I was a kid going to see them, you know, up until I was 19 years old or so, they never played the song Mantham. That's a shout out for all you Bouncing Souls fans, which are like two of you, but anyway, um, uh, they never played the song Mantham live because everybody used to come up on stage for it. And the, uh, the lead singer, Greg was, uh, uh, claustrophobic. So they never used to do it. And I talked to a friend about a week ago who was at a bouncing soul show. And I said, they, they didn't end up playing Mantham, did they? And they're like, Oh no, a couple of years ago, they brought it back. So something like this, even flow in the number four spot, does that always kind of come back to you? Like, do you always kind of expect a song like that to be in that spot just because you've listened to this over and over and over again, burnt the cassette cassette tape out. But obviously, you know, if you've gone to dozens of shows in the 2000s era, you know, that's not the case. Right. Well, you know, at this point, you know, even flow is, is a huge song and it's, it's, it did, it hadn't yet become the bathroom break song. Um, and you know, Mike is just not crazy on this version. Um, I think, Going back to it, it it has that kind of like punch that it kind of lost. You know, songs evolve throughout the years, and I think Even Flow is one that's kind of involved. You know, it had a drum solo for a little while. It's become like the "Let's Give Ed's Voice a Break" song, um, but this is just a tight, like fast, perfect version for me. I agree. I I, I really out of all the Even Flows I've heard over the year, it's just kind of. It's been one of those songs. And it always happens with the hits, where we're just kind of like, "Yeah, it sounds great." But and I and I give I give Dave A a lot of shit. I'm not the world's biggest Dave A fan, but he is he is great on the show and this song especially. Oh, I was I, I was, I was going to say this this cemented Dave A in as you know my second favorite Pearl Jam drummer, which I always I always thought he was, even though you know from what I heard he's a bit of a dick, but um. I, I mean, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with him on the show at all. It's 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 fantastic. I think he almost stands out more on oh, this yeah. show than how Matt or Jack or you know, if you want to go cruising too, then then they stood out. I think he stands out more than any other band member. But that's right. also qualities that Matt Cameron have that he he's better at blending that he doesn't kind of take the forefront uh jack iron's the same as well he kind of he sets the tone uh what was your definition for it uh running the tempo or something like that uh like when you you kind of um oh like the jack iron stuff yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. if you listen to albums like that where um you know they'll be playing to like a click or something in the studio we always called that uh to like to push the click where push okay push the tempo you're, you're almost not pushing the click but you're not you're not it's it's you're playing to a click to keep the time, but if you're not perfectly on the click, that's okay because it's going to sound real and it's going to sound live. And Jack Iron stuff definitely had that for sure. Yeah. yeah I, I, as you'll see with Dave this whole night, it's just... My, my notes are so small for this. I have almost no notes for this because it's really good, but... Um, I was going to bring up Dave A as we go on on another song that I, I it's something I hope you agree with because I listened to it a few times. But I'm going to bring up Dave point. A like 20 more times. So Which, right, right. It's, there's, okay. there's, it's hard to believe there, a month later he was kicked out of the band. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I If I can tell, it seems like he had uh, probably like seven or so more shows after this. I think his last 
live show was, I, I think, the 29th of this month, 27th of this month, if I can remember correctly. So they weren't on this leg for much longer. So that, that, that this is really it for him. Right. Well, I know, uh, who came in was, was, uh, yeah. Cause Jack Irons came in next, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jack Irons had already recorded some drums for Vitology. So there was, well, an, he recorded, there was an overlap. He recorded stupid mop and Dave, a got kicked out during Vitology. So right, Dave, a right. recorded so, most of it. But, but I think I think Jack Irons also had some writing credit on something else. I have to double check that. So it's it's really interesting to kind of see that overlap and also to see where that um, overlap occurs in the show, especially with these with these newer songs that they kind of debut and they try out. You see, it's this show is it, it the timing for the show is really cool in in many ways because you see that overlap and you see these transitions and you see these new things going on. So it's very interesting. And now fifth song in, and you know what's here. A dissident is here. <laughs> Randy just Randy just loves to find excuses to <laughs> sing the songs on the podcast. <laughs> as long as he doesn't do the guitar part, I just let him go. There it is. <laughs> That's for the Brads who absolutely love this song. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like we mentioned before, this is. This show is featured on uh, the three-disc Dissonance single. Um, and, you know, as we were talking about in the intro, too, we, we saw Last Exit this past weekend, and the whole time I was saying, man, for them to do all of Verses now, you know, like they did in Green Greenville a couple of years ago, uh, man, that's got to be such a strain on his voice, because something like Dissident, he goes so high with, and if you're going from dissident into WMA into blood, that's just that, that probably a 15 year, 50 year old Eddie has to just be strained. But this is like, you know, thirties Eddie here, like maybe your late twenties, early thirties Eddie. And he sounds great on it, but that threshold, it just, how do you, it's so hard for even him to even reach that threshold when he, he sings the chorus that he kind of does flatten out for it a little bit. And then, you know, at the end, this is a traditional thing he's usually done even nowadays where he just says he just uh, speaks the line. So, right, right. And he does flatten out a few times um, on, a, on a few of these songs. But now he can't even, he well, doesn't even try to do that. Right, right. But it wasn't that he was flattening out on these songs because he couldn't sing it back then or that it was difficult. It kind of leads into or plays into what we were talking about, about the the anger of the show, the energy of the show, the emotion of the show. So it's not that he can't sing these parts. He's just, he's just very um, charged, you know, it's, it. it it's not a bad thing when he falls a little flat on some of these parts. It's it's more of a performance than it is a not able to sing it. And that's okay because it doesn't sound bad. You know, do you know what I mean? It's it's tough to describe, but it's No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, I think it's just differentiating what the album is from what live is. And look, right. he's got another 22 songs to go. So if, if he's not going to go to that high threshold, that means he's not going to be able to go to that high threshold later on blood where it counts. Right. But it's, it's not, 
it's not bad either. He's no, trying, not at all. And it's it's just it's a performance thing, and it still sounds really good. The bridge in this especially just soars for me. Like this is one of the best, the best dissident bridges. Like they're absolutely. they're going forward. Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, this is not something that's in their repertoire too much nowadays, and that's uh, it. It becomes special when you hear dissident, when you hear. Uh, Glorified G, when you hear WMA not played as a tag, when you hear Blood, those songs now become special when you hear them live. But here, you're getting every single one of them. So that's, you know, it's something that we just have to kind of enjoy as we do these 90s shows, that especially this early. Do you know how amazing Big Wave would have sounded if they sang it in 1994? Oh my god! It would have sa- it would have sounded so good. Well, we'll have to check the sound check and see if they sound checked it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you didn't know, Big Wave has actually been around since 90, 1994. It's uh, yeah, it only it took them till two thousand six to put it on an album. Big Wave was in the original. Uh, it was called the the Mama the Mama Water. <laughs> <laughs> it was Big Wave Oceans and Amongst the Waves. There you go. Uh, next song is Why Go, and I I don't have too much notes on, on this, except for that we've talked about it a million times. Why Go might be their most versatile song. It can play any position. It can, it can pitch in, in the ninth inning of a, of a blowout if you want it to. Um, but this is, this is one of the only um, one of the only weird place songs, only because I think why go is now you're saying weird word. weirdly placed i'm saying it's versatile and i think it can belong anywhere but you're saying it's weirdly placed yeah i know I, th- I think it is versatile versatile for sure i think it's because we've gotten very used to um it following certain songs or what comes after why go you know it's it's tough to describe but this why go was was a it's a little little strange here for me but again it didn't sound bad uh one of my notes was i it felt like i was listening to the album it was it was amazingly tight yeah, why go is very strange for me. I feel like I feel like I go back and forth on why go. I feel like it can be very versatile. And then I feel like, like right now, like maybe this maybe this isn't the right spot for it. But again, it sounds like the album. It's so super tight, and and I loved it. But it doesn't feel like filler. Oh no no no! It, it'll never not it, at all. It, it'll never feel like a filler anywhere. I, I, I don't think. I think at this point in the show, and John, I want to see if you agree with me. I think at this point in the show, we're six songs in, and it feels like. We're 12 songs in. It feels like we've been hearing this for an hour and we still got, you know, two hours to go. Yeah, again, it's another one that you you probably would have expected to be in the whipping spot in like that number three spot. But again, you know, it's they're bringing out the fast songs all the way through. And they don't have too many slow songs to go back to. You know, we'll, exactly. we'll hear Garden later, we'll hear uh, Indifference later, but this is everything they have in their repertoire is fast. So there, there really isn't filler to go to. There's no, you know, mid set. Hey, let's, uh, let's go to sirens or let's go to, I don't know, um, something a little lighter, like an unthought known. That's not, you know, really intense. This is just, it's intense all the way. And And I I think think it's, it's a good break between dissident and the next song as well. Sure. You know, dissident into deep, it's kind of two mid-tempo songs. They figured probably figured break it up with a with a quick fast one in mid, in between. Gun to my head, probably one of my favorite songs played this whole entire night. 
was deep, and um, I want to hear it, so let's listen to it. Just saying, it is so good when we're listening to this. This is just, it, it's so different. It feels just it, so raw. Um, it's another that I think benefits from Dave's presence here. He he didn't even record the song. I believe that was Cruson uh, that recorded the song. But uh, the technique here in the verse with that really quick hi-hat and the um where he keeps going back to, I guess it's the double bass, and then like hitting that hi-hat really quick. Um, and the fills during the chorus, it brings an edge to the song that I really, I'm not sure that Krusen or MFC or even Irons, any of those guys can provide to this. Yeah, he definitely put an interpretation on it, and uh, it sounded really, really good. I always liked Dave A., Maybe he he isn't the nicest guy, or maybe he's just a little bit of a of a jerk. But uh, just listen to this deep. The guy the guy could play, and the guy could really put his own spin on these on these songs. Yeah, deep is not a song that I go back to a lot now. It's probably one of my least favorite songs on ten right now. But I will go back and listen to this version anytime. And you get your Agreed. first you get your first lyric change. The young virgin from Georgia. Mm. I didn't even recognize that yeah i don't think mm-hmm. i caught that yeah. that's interesting all right well you know what darn i'm gonna have to go back and listen to this version again i guess <laughs> <laughs> and then this the, just the raw screaming at the end just the no you won't no you won't just you that was a spiral into madness man uh yeah you'd wish there was a video because then you know he was just like on the floor like and you know pure emotion yeah and it it, it just keeps going from there yeah um all right jeremy is next uh and i don't know if they purposefully fucked this up and it's before the chorus or was this the way that they played jeremy back then um so they would go after the king jeremy the wicked uh, ruled his world they would kind of stop they wouldn't play that chorus and they would go into the second verse and i wonder if that was hey they fucked up and let's move on let's just move on with it and like not do the chorus or was that planned yeah i don't know i mean maybe my only thought on it is uh, again a a big hit it gets a huge crowd response huge crowd response it could have just been hey let's make like a a live 
version of the song. Let's do it this way. I don't think it's early enough. I Okay, so how do I word this? It's not new enough of a song to where they're screwing it up because they just don't know it or they're not confident with it yet. I think it might be because they just had some kind of idea for how to play it live. And maybe this was that idea. It could be because they screwed it up. It could be that simple. Um, or How about option, this? How about I this? Say, I was going to say maybe option three was uh, with a song uh, like Jeremy with it, kind of everything that surrounded it. It Could could they have resented the um, the fame that came around it? And maybe they just wanted to play it because they had to, but just kind of get out of it as soon as they could. I'm going to give uh, you an I'm option sure. four. I'm okay. going to give you an option four. And what about if it's this? What if everybody... You know, like John is sitting at home, never seen Pearl Jam live before, and they're listening to it, and it's, you know, arguably arguably their most popular song next to Even Flowing Alive, and they hear it's a little different as like, oh, that's cool. Is that what I get during a live Pearl Jam show? Shit, I want to go and see them now. That's what I mean. Like, maybe they were trying to figure out some kind of different way to play it live. Uh, I don't know if it was you that went, but... Uh, Counting Crows um, like maybe 10 years ago they did a whole tour and they did like you know every song they have all the hits and uh, they did it in a way where no one could recognize what they were playing at all Mr. Jones was like this weird Pink Floyd type <laughs> space odyssey song and everyone's like what the hell are you doing well it that was only going- it was only a few years later that you got the new Jeremy if you guys remember that, where it was more like a kind of a mellow, more like an like an up, like an upstroke guitar, it was Vaguely. on one of the fan club singles. So they they were messing with it already. I th- yeah, I I think I had only heard that once. I think it might have been on one of Steve's fan club singles. I I have to look back into that. That sounds familiar though. Um, yeah, maybe they were just testing stuff out with it because it was so incredibly huge, and uh, or it could be as simple as they just messed it up. One of the other things I really like about this is we go back to Angry Eddie, and uh, he does this a lot during this day and age. But screaming that um, that second verse, and he just keeps he keeps going uh, with that. I, it's I don't again I don't know if it's just like he's so sick of singing it at this point, or he's just like fuck it, I'm angry. Let's do it, you know? Right. Um. Ed hasn't talked very much uh, during this, and it's I wouldn't say it's a theme, because a theme would have to be something that continues to happen time to time, so it's an anti-theme. I don't know. Oh, hey, Randy. Yes? Let me just ask a question. John, maybe you might know this. Uh, another point on that just, just kind of hit me. Was there, besides the, um, like the B-side version where it was a little slower, was there a single version of jeremy that might have cut that part out for like a a radio play i believe there was there might have even been a video version because if that's the case maybe they were playing it not to the album version but since it was so huge at this time maybe they were doing like the radio version or the video or the video version i think they had all the choruses in the video version the video version might have an extra chorus, I think, at the end. But it might have I think extra, you might be yeah. right about the single version. I think that's probably there what might they were there doing. might be like a radio version that they had to cut for time. Maybe they were doing that live. Could be. Hmm. Yeah, this, is a, good this is a very interesting Jeremy. Uh, we we'll, we need to research this one a little bit more. This comes off the heels of last week. I don't know if you've uh, you guys have seen this, but uh, the real Jeremy's mother spoke for the first time and since uh, you know publicly since since his death. 20 
27 years ago. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting to hear, but I won't spend too much time on that. Yeah. Sorry for bringing that back. I just, that that just popped into my head uh, thinking about radio edits and I just wanted to get it in there real fast. It makes sense. It makes sense. Again, uh, Eddie didn't really talk very much during this. Uh, No stories about Bono. No talking about the Cubs. No talking about surfing. <laughs> he probably doesn't even know Bono at this point. Who knows? There's, there's um, still a dad joke, though. Yes, there is. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, they dedicate this to Keith. And I'm going to guess this was Keith Wismar, who passed He was part of their crew for years and years and years, and he passed away over a year ago. He says that... Um, He's going to jail for six to nine months for abusing his inner child. So I, I, I wasn't able to find out what he was jailed for. But John, any insight on that? Or I believe I believe it's just a joke. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't okay. think he was actually because abusing his inner child. Right. I think it was like some kind of inside joke because you could hear the crowd. They're like, "What?" <laughs> it was just a weird thing to say. And then he throws in the "Oh, you oh, just because you haven't been caught." Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Oh, uh, okay. That yeah, all right. So, but that is a true story. He did pass away. If it's the right Keith, which I believe it is, he did pass away uh, at some point last year. So, right. I mentioned that. Um, so this, I guess, this is where the dad joke comes in. He says uh, he starts speaking the words of glorify G and says, uh, "Got a gun? In fact, I got two. That's okay, man. Because I love Maud. Is that what he said? I heard Maud." That's what I thought. There's, I think there's one point too. I think the next verse it's "I Love Frogs," reference frogs. to the, the, the band. <laughs> that's the in the song. That's in the actual song. Yeah, that's what I thought because they were connected to the to the frogs at that point. So, um, but the mod part I didn't understand. Here's mod. I don't know. I, Harold yeah. and mod. That's the only thing that occurred to then, me. Yeah. Then there's mod. Then I, there's mod. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, okay. The frog. If the frogs one is the dad joke you're referencing to, yes, I did catch that. So, yeah, he does love the frogs at this point, and they covered Rearview Mirror at this point too, which is a very slowed down version if you've never heard it before. Um, it's another fucking impossible song to sing. You mentioned before, and he's top notch, especially on the bridge. Um, but now there's two different versions of glorified G when you get to the ending here. Um, there's the, I can steal your heart from your neck. And then there's what they do here. Um, and I'm not sure what they say here. So John, what, what, what is this version compared to the album version? I, I didn't, I couldn't really place it. Tell you the truth. And you know, it's funny because last exit, we talked about before the, the cover band that we saw this week, they did that same version that they did here where, not even Stone was singing I Can Steal the Heart from Your Neck. He's just, it sounds like he's saying Here We Go or something like that. I, I, I can't tell what he's saying. So, hmm. Yeah, I think this song kind of quickly fell out of favor after this tour and after Dave A left. It wasn't a song that they they got played a lot throughout the mid to late 90s. It's a very Dave A song, so I can, I can see that. Um, yeah, but I mean... It's great. It, it's great that we have this. It's great that you know people were able to keep the bootlegs and you know record on cassette tapes for all this time because you know 
going back, we're able to hear all this great stuff that that's been archived. And thankfully, we've come to this to a podcast where we're covering it. So, uh, from glorified G to daughter, and um, I was hoping that I'd have more to say on daughter because this is an earlier version. I really just don't. Yeah, I mean, with um, uh, excuse me, with uh, daughter and Jeremy. Not much to say on him, uh, as you know. Jeremy was at least different, though. Yeah, well, no, I mean, there's not much to say on him because I, if I don't see them live, I don't care. But it was really nice hearing them here because it's it's early. They're a little quirky. They're new. I like hearing these songs really close to their debuts. Basically, it's um, it's a different feel. It's a it's a different vibe. It's a it's a different energy to it than if if you go and see it now. So I, I, I really appreciate them here and I, I enjoyed listening to them. And you, and you get the, another brick in the wall tag, which between mm. this and the Saturday night live performance, you know, you can still go to a Pearl jam show. And when they get to this point, people will start singing another brick in the wall because right. it's been ingrained from, from this show and that Saturday night live performance kind of became Canon. And that's right. the one that people go back to. Right. We've, we've mentioned that before with the kind of isms that they do where, mm-hmm. All these hays, hoes, these sing-alongs, these parts—they're almost recorded now. They're—it's it, almost a part of like the studio version because they're so, as you said, ingrained. They're now as much a part of the song as the chorus of the song, which is really, really cool. And it's a really cool way to kind of connect to the fans that are sitting around you as you go to these shows, and how the band makes it a, a, a big uh, participation which I think is really important. And that's what kind of keeps people coming back because it's so much fun. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I, can't, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and now that you have about four or five different songs that they could tag off a daughter, it becomes kind of a will they, won't they kind of thing. And going back to the Boston show um, this past year uh, where they did WMA and I was saying, you know, I really wanted to hear It's Okay because they were doing It's Okay all throughout Europe and through the stadium shows. Um, they actually ended up doing both. So it was, I was very happy at a point where I was just going to be like, all right, well, I guess I'm settling for WMA. We got both. So right. it's cool cool to kind of predict that sort of thing. And maybe you can kind of break down night by night when they do which tag, you know, what kind of show it is. So, But Brick and the Wall worked here and Dave A actually sounded really good on this um, so Go is next before Go you can hear Eddie say something we're going to play it for you now see if you can make it out so this is you know we mentioned it before uh, as far as Go this was an awesome version of Go and and I think I wrote they created a path of fire for this song. Uh, but I really want to talk about Kurt right now because really Kurt doesn't have too much time left in between this song and his uh, and his noted death when they found him on the 8th, but they said that his death occurred on the 5th. Um, since Matt and I were seven years old at the time. Just babies. Like, literally babies yeah. were like what's what's going to happen on power rangers this week you're like what's going to happen to kurt is 
what you know is is he okay um and there, i i'm gonna gather that there was a ton of coverage going up to early march on this so what do you remember from this time period kurt i mean you can't overestimate how big that was i mean mtv news was like the big thing back then you you forget how crucial mtv was in the 90s mm-hmm. but like constant coverage and if you guys have seen that movie hype a kind of about the seattle scene there's a lot of coverage on that in that movie and they do a really good job of like going back and showing all just the the stunned looks on people's faces like you just couldn't believe you know is one of those it's one of those moments like people say you know when john lennon was shot people use you know 9-11 for that it's one of those moments not to compare it but it's one of those iconic moments in your youth if you're a certain age that hits you and it kind of changes everything i i mean no i i agree uh uh it, it was really big and randy uh i i actually remember the newsday paper um uh, here on long island we have newsday and that was sitting on the kitchen table uh, Steve might have brought it home, or you know, it was probably just delivered to the house back then. And I remember on the on the back on the back cover was the the you know Kurt Cobain found dead. And I remember I think the picture was of him in that sweater from the um, unplugged uh, performance mm. with his guitar. I think that's the picture they used. It might be one of my earliest memories, which is pretty amazing that I remember seeing that newspaper on my kitchen table. Yeah, um, I you know. I can't remember. It's just one of those things that it's like a back of your head where you must have heard something at the time. And I'm guessing I'm seven. So I, I I don't quite know Kurt Cobain. I might know Nirvana as I I might not know one of their songs, but I I might know them as a thing. Same with Pearl Jam at the time, but I'm probably more into, you know, Disney sing along or some crap like that. Um, (laughs) And, but, you know, as the, as the years go by, it, it, it's kind of one of those things that it's like, oh, I always knew that, that, would, you know, even though I was alive when he was alive, I've always known at the time when he died and, you know, I, but I can't pinpoint, I, I can't remember anything. It's, it's just like when I first started listening to Nirvana when I was about like 10 or 11 years old, um, you just kind of go back to those moments and go back to that time period of, you know, they had three albums and that was it. And, you know, everybody kind of knew the story that happened to them. And even though, you know, some people have conspiracy theories, believe what you want out of that. I I have no idea what to believe because I've heard everything. Um, So I, I just wanted to mention before we move on from go, I'd mentioned earlier how, uh, I was going to talk about Dave A again. First of all, I just wanted to say this is this might be my favorite performance of Go I've ever heard. It is so amazingly tight, and it is pretty close to the album, which you know I don't care if things are close to the album, but if it sounds this good. And also, see if you guys agree with me, but listen to it again. And there are parts where... Dave A is doing this drum beat and it is it's just it's poppy. It's like it's almost a straight up dance beat, which really transforms the sound of the song and it makes it so good and and and, and stand out. I couldn't get enough of this version because this <laughs> this this drum part 
I want to I want to dance to it because of this drum beat. It was amazing. It was incredible. This song is underrated in their catalog for sure. It's one of those that it gets lumped in with the other opening songs on the albums, but but this is a top three, top five song in their catalog, no doubt. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm. With I you. think this is their best opener that they have, and that that's saying a lot because uh, almost all ten of their opening album songs are just straight fire. Um, but I, I, as you'll tell, I think there's a podcast that I'm going to be doing in, in a short time uh, where I'm going to be covering once on it. Uh, I, I asked him since I was able to knock down once, I said, can I do every album opener? Cause I, I love to just talk album openers and how they kind of set the tone more than any other album in their category, in their catalog go sets the absolute tone for verses and it never lets down. That's like a hundred percent. And again, yeah, ab- absolutely. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the, the song is for Kurt. The song that says "Don't go on me" is the one that's yeah. for Kurt. That's just perfect. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it goes from "Go" into "Animal." They're playing a little bit of uh, the beginning of verses here, going from track one to track two, and you know, this is a simpler time where we have ten in verses and. 11 tracks on 10, 12 on verses, and we're getting 10, 10 songs, and we're getting 11 verses songs. So instead of saying, do you think they'll play this? You're saying, I can't wait until they play this. So it's a, you're expecting animal at some point. So I think that that's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. I have nothing to say to that because I agree. And it sounded, and it sounded good. Exactly. Especially at, at this point in the set where it's middle of the set, animals usually you know, within the first four songs or so, they don't usually go back to it this late. So, you know, but what do you know back back then? Most people that have gone to Pearl Jam shows, they're, they're not following them around the country like they do now. Uh, if anything, maybe they see them, you know, in their local area or, or their state a couple of times whenever they're around. But the following is not, probably not there yet. Also, they didn't, they don't have really enough material to be mixing it up how they do now so yeah know, right it's going to be completely different so and, animal, and it fits you know. perfectly after go as well i like that too if the opener is strong like go is of course if they do maybe that and then like two more after that in order if they're all good and they work well i think that's really great and and this is a a, a perfect example of that agree uh, the next song is the only song in the Pearl Jam catalog that I can think of that has the name of a band member in it.
it not the only one, John? Uh, Why Go also mentions Stone. Ah, but there's no, like, Jeff Go Home or, uh, you know, I'd rather be with an Eddie Vedder. I don't know. Oh, don't tell me because I'll go back and listen to everything and find out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you some homework. (laughs) If you got the time and I got the wine. um, Speaking of Stone, this is like an ultimate stone. So this is stone's moment of a night to me. He's just mesmerizing with that, that opening lick. And it just, it feels so much different from now. Like now, I guess maybe it feels diluted a little bit, but like, it feels like at this point you're in, he puts you in some kind of strange gypsy trance or something like that. Definitely. This one, again, it's not one of my favorite songs on 10, not one that I usually go back to. And, but this version, like they were still, they were still in it and still going for it. And this version, I'll I'll go back and listen to this version anytime, even over the album version. I agree. And I don't really go to the, I like this song a lot better live than I do on the album. I don't really go back to this on the album that often, but uh, this is what this, this might be like the third song off the set that is my favorite. I've ever heard it. Definitely. Yeah, this this set is full of those. This, but this garden especially is amazing. Yeah, um, I don't remember a time where they've jammed on garden this much. They jam on this for like six minutes, and it's so good. Oh, it's incredible, and as as mesmerizing as you know, trance inducing that that Stone puts you through. McCready does the same with his solo. Um, do you uh, do you want to play some of Mike's solo here? I feel like we need to get a little bit of a taste. I feel like we should. For our guest. All right, here we go. best gardens of stone that uh you'll ever hear and this is an a plus 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 performance so um let's move on to the state of love and trust and that state at this point is georgia um and we haven't covered it for a couple weeks so we're we're past due because every now and again it's good to go back to songs that you love um and you know, it's again, it's never a bad live song, but hearing Dave A play it, just I love the crash cymbal sound during the chorus. I'm just gushing over it. It's one of my favorite things. Just his timing in this whole show. Whoever out there still talks shit about Dave A, fight me, fight me on it. We'll, we'll fight after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, now, because it wasn't an album song, I wonder it, you know. It's still a song that the fan base nowadays obviously knows well, but did its popularity grow organically over time? The single soundtrack was a big deal. But I think people knew because that got a lot of a lot of airplay, and especially coming off, they played it on the unplugged. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is this is a song that people knew. 
Okay. Yeah. That's, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, this might not, if you're just a normal person that listens to the, to their radio hits, you might not even know state of love and trust. If you go to a show, it's crazy to even think that that's possible, but you know, there is a possibility that there are people out there that do go to Pearl Jam shows and not know the song just because it wasn't an album song or, you know, or they don't remember singles or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I do feel like this is one of the Pearl Jam fans, just it's it's theirs, it belongs to them instead of a radio song belonging to to the world. Uh, Lack is next, and um, just kind of like Jeremy, the they change it up a little bit, and during the chorus, they kind of slow down, the drum tempo stops, the bass stops, and it's just Eddie and Stone during the chorus, and I feel like they do bring that back on pretty rare occasions now, but I love how they're incorporating this different style here, uh, just like they did with Jeremy, and they're just doing different things that instead of you know their paint-by-number palette. Yeah, Black is a good song for them to do that too, though. I think I think Black is pretty versatile in in, in that sense where they could they could really do some interesting things with it. Uh, it's it's a great song for them to explore a little bit. Uh, be it with tags or just, uh, you know, performance interpretations. So uh, I love it. I also think they could ride off the crowd a lot. And I feel like that's a lot of what happened during this. We belong together tag here is they're just riding off the crowd and um, definitely man, this sounds good. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really good. Uh, yeah. This, this tag is great. The, they you know don't understand didn't understand i think it's more just an improv i don't think he even planned on doing that it probably just came off the cuff now i don't know if you guys noticed this and i i only listened to the this part once but i wrote down that there was a little lick that sounded like a piece of low light and then it was during the we belong together i don't i think it was probably sounded like uh like the ending chorus or something like that, but not the, um, you know, not the overall progression. Yeah. I would say that would probably just be a coincidence being, is that, of course, isn't this, isn't this the second time you've tried to say that there was a different song in black? Yep. Nutshell was the other one. I nutshell. still hear nutshell when I hear black, but I was, I was going to say for two reasons. One, cause it doesn't mean that low light maybe wasn't around, but if it wasn't, I think it would be more of a coincidence because one, low light is a, f- a little while out still. And two, if anyone's going to do a lick for low light before it's written, it's Jeff, be- not not one of the guitar players because he, you know, he wrote it. True. But there are a lot of things, man. You just screw around with your guitar sometime and you just come up. Come Inspiration up and strikes. And... You got you to gotta take a hold of it. Yeah, exactly. it, it could have. He could have remembered that lick uh, in his head and said, you know, I'm going to write something around this. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my insane head when I hear things. Sometimes I immediately attach it to something, so who knows. Uh, Alive, it doesn't end the first set, but this is a really, really, really fast version of Alive. And we talked a lot last show about how that set was all chilled out, but this time frame is so lightning quick fast with grit and anger and i also said in my notes here that 
if somebody wants to mosh during a Pearl Jam show nowadays, you're like, get the fuck out of here, guy. But then, if you're on the floor, I don't think there's any way to help dealing with, like, mosh pits or the crowd moving around from place to place or or crowd surfers. I think that that's, their, that's the spirit of the Pearl Jam show at the time, and I really felt like... There were probably multiple upon multiple crowd surfers during during this version of Alive. Well, I'm sure it was probably encouraged too. And it almost, you know, we didn't really mention it, but there's no video of this show, and this is one where you you really wish that someone had snuck a camcorder in, so yeah, you're able to see just right. the chaos that was going on. Exactly. Yeah, it just everything everything is just insane, crazy. Uh, they mess around after alive and it must be a tech change or something like that eddie says goodnight but then blood and this is just another that uh personifies eddie's range at this time period and you know uh it, it personifies his rage and it, it personifies his range and everything is just is an awesome 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 version and time period to play this right and there was a couple couple points in this like i said earlier about him maybe going a little little flat with some of the harder points but again it does not ruin the performance it sounds really good and besides those few rare moments that he does a scream that doesn't quite get up there besides that he is studio quality on point with vocals the instrumentation is studio quality on point Oh, look, another favorite performance ever for a song for me on this set. <laughs> and then you get the you get the little not for you tag showing that they were they were already thinking about Vitalogy already moving into that that era. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just, just like whipping, they were playing not for you at this point. So it had started to creep its way into set list. So, um, yeah, if you caught it at that point, you're like, oh, well, you know. You probably probably nobody knew what it was because unless they're really following them around, like I said before, I don't think this was the time period where people do were doing that. But you know, it's just a fun little thing to look back on a couple years later and realize what that song became. Um, but I think that this version of Blood, you need a cigarette after because you just got fucked. You need an IV of fluids <laughs> like right into your arm. Uh, it's the best four minutes of your life. Um, and we go into the encore, which if you listen to this on YouTube, uh, during these breaks, there are random sound bites that it's like somebody playing ping pong. And then it sounds like, please, sir, may I have some more from Oliver twist and cartoony noises. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little Foxy Mop Handle Mama. I that's in my notes, and that yep. is so perfectly put. It, it's just random. Um, you know what I also liked on YouTube? You gotta, you gotta listen carefully. I, I think it was might have been on this one, or it might have been on the one after once. I forget, but I'm, I'm almost positive. I, you could hear someone in the crowd going like, they're like, holy shit. shit like blown away like thank you guy like thank you guy exactly (laughs) that was probably me from 60 miles away screaming yeah (laughs) (laughs) after that whole 
noise business. Uh, Eddie comes out and says, there's a whole bunch of people listening on the radio. If you want to say hi. And the crowd says, hi, John. Hi. (laughs) As a 16 year old, he probably believed it. Um, and now we get into the song that I was most looking forward to, uh, in this entire set and just listen to the intro because that's, you're never going to hear this version again. to cover a version of WMA that Dave played on. And this has only been played 17 times as a non-tag, which is not a lot considering that the song was birthed in 1993. So at this time, this played in full, they had only done it five times. So with Dave A, they'd only done this song five times as a full song, and the rest have just been daughter tags which is just insane. But just listen to Dave A on that. And to me, it's this and Glorify G and Go are the quintessential Dave A songs. He rips through it. It just, you know, it it translates just as good live as it does on the album. And again, they change it up so much now that when you hear it on the rare occasions that you do hear uh, a regular version, Matt, you said you were listening to 2008 shows. It's not very good. It's not very good. And I said to you the other night when our friends in last exit, the Pearl jam tribute band here on long Island, they, they go all over the place though. Everyone should go check them out on Facebook. They're really good. They're WMA. I, I said to you that night, I was like, this is better than any WMA, uh, WMA I've ever heard Pearl jam do the 2008, bootleg does not even come close to this version this version's incredible it's amazing this is a song that needs that anger it's it's a perfect early pearl jam song it's it's not going to be the same in 2008 or 2018 because they're not the same people that they were in 1994 it needs that rage needs that anger and it it definitely shows here exactly when when one of your own songs almost becomes like a cover song because it's you you just don't feel the same or you don't play it the same way or you don't feel the same way about the song anymore maybe it's time you don't do that song anymore and you get a different voice on the in the verses here too doug from king's x yes yeah um 
I, I've been lucky enough to hear this full song twice. Uh, as you know, when I say lucky, I mean lucky as in stats, because you know, if you're a newer Pearl Jam fan, you you know, WMA is something that you're still chasing, according to places like Live Footsteps. That you know, they don't count this as a tag to your you know full album finding. So you know, going to the Greenville show uh, where they played the full thing versus you know, I was there. That, yeah, so you probably had heard this before, I would, I would think, though, right? No, I don't think so. I think that was the first one. Wow. So, I mean, that's, you know, again, uh, it's not the same as it was back then, but, you know, every now and again, it's good to pull them out. But I wish that, especially in this day and age where the song kind of means just as much as it did back then, um, I really do wish that they would kind of go back to tradition on it. Uh, end of the song, Eddie says that tomorrow morning, look in your history book and find out why it's an important day to remember. I have no idea why. I don't know if anybody can put that in the context. That would be the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, uh, thank you. And that's, I mean, for the area, for exactly for the Atlanta area. Okay. All right. That, you know, I should brush up on my U.S. history, but thank you. Uh, thank you for remembering. You're, you're from Atlanta, so that's, that's such an important part of the history down there so that's you know yes, that's like us in new york not remembering uh billy joel's birthday or something like that i don't know i don't know billy joel's birthday i don't either but that, i'm just saying randy i just wanted to stat check with you real quick they yep. played they played wma the full song at both of those 2008 msg they shows did. right okay they did i think i had it twice as a tag and then i had it twice as the full song and i'm i was sure it was uh back to back so okay, okay great uh so after after he says all that he says they're about to experiment with one they've only played live one other time which is uh fact checker says that that's a lie they've like this is going to be their third time ever playing it and uh he says it's the Part of the radio broadcast where they start fucking around, and Ed says, you've never heard the song unless you've seen Bad Radio. Uh, it's a new song written a long time ago, dedicated to the bastard man that married my mom. And that bastard turned into this hit single. Stop telling, take no more, she practices her speeches, he opens the door. Sleep as he 
again, in running joke, how every show that we say that was a good better man, not much else you can say. Well, this was a different better man. And it, it sure was. So we can talk about it a little bit here. I, I would love to. I was going to say, aside from the rear view mirror as the second song, this better man is is my second favorite point of the entire night you're literally seeing how this song grows right right before your eyes or right before your ears however you want to think of it i love how they play the the full drum chorus right up front it's not how i want the song to end up which is it it, it doesn't end up that way because the best part about better man is the build and especially live that's one of the greatest moments of a pearl jam show because it's the ultimate sing-along it's the ultimate crowd participation uh it's such an amazing uh, set one ender or encore one ender wherever you want to put it in that spot it's really great there but to see such an early version of this song to where it is just a little different but it's almost there they've almost got it you know what i mean and you just want to say to them like just just a, a little bit more you're all you're almost there you almost have it it's so amazing I, I just as a musician myself i love hearing stuff like that and i love hearing things evolve like that and i love knowing how it turned out and you're listening and saying you've almost got it you you're almost there and now it, let and, me let me ask and you it this so, and it sounds it, even though it's a little different it still sounds really really good but let, let me ask you this if they don't get rid of that continuous drum beat is this a hit radio single or no no it it and it's and it almost it changes where i would put it in a set if if they were playing it like this where the where the choruses were the same the whole time upbeat chorus every single time it's not a good set ender it's not a good encore ender it's just kind of a filler it's it's just it almost is a filler and I feel like they realized it didn't work that way because it it's very strange when it comes back into the second verse and that second verse is so incredibly short and then the band picks back up. I, mm-hmm. I think they were thinking it's very off balance here. I think this song works better as a build and it's uh, it sounds strange, of course, but it is it's so it's so fucking cool, man. It is so cool to to hear that. You know, it's it's been it's been said many times the evolution of the song from the late eighties to what we have now. And it's, it's interesting to see this kind of germ of an idea, like in process, like you said, like knowing what it would become, like they're almost there. They've almost got it. And you know, they probably, again, one of those where they probably hit the studio the next day and we're like, Hey, that maybe worked. Let's try it with this. And it's just so interesting to see like that they would do that at a show like this, like, fuck it, let's just play it and see how it goes. Let's just play it. And who, you know, they, that version that they did, maybe they only had that, version of it recently to to when they performed it to where it was that style and the where the choruses were the same thing all the way through and it's funny how you said you know the song was written a long time ago and and how it builds up and 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 um evolves through time one of their biggest songs of all time you got to think what if they had gotten frustrated with it and it never came out what if better man never happened because they couldn't get it to where they wanted it it almost didn't Eddie wanted to keep it off of Vitalogy. Exactly. Right. I think we have Brendan O'Brien to thank for that. So if Eddie keeps it off Vitalogy, I, I, I kind of, what I came up with here was that while No Code was really a signal in change within the band, Better Man might have been that bridge that opened up that change. Um, Possibly. I don't know 
if they went just from Vitalogy to no code without Better Man, if that change that change wasn't really accepted as it was, but I don't think it would have been accepted by the large amount of Pearl Jam faithful that were out there if it, if there was no Better Man to to go into no code. Right. If there had been a video for Better Man, it would have been one of the biggest songs of all time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? That's that's part of their history. That's part of what they're all about. And, uh, another thing with just how this was played, they still kept that build to before the memories back when she was bold and strong. They they kept that build that was in there, even though they were at that same pace the whole time. Exactly. And you and notice that, that? And that? And that verse dropout after that first chorus that was played with drums how the second chorus is played right uh it doesn't it doesn't really work because that part is so short it's too big of a drop off and then to come right back into it so yeah man who knows maybe this performance was like the spark that they needed to say hey this is what we did that felt a little strange let's try this and then all of a sudden one of their biggest songs is is born and recorded so i loved it i i really loved it yeah, and you know, um, I'm glad we got to actually talk about Better Man this time instead of saying, "Yep, it was good, goodbye." Uh, you know, because this is just so different that uh, it really does make this show, looking back on it, just make it feel so so much more important than it is. Um, because they're on the radio, Ed says at this point that they should describe themselves. Uh, says that Jeff is sitting on a stool about to play stand-up bass and getting ready for 40 years from now where he can sit on a stool the whole show. So he's got another 16 years to go before that happens, um, <laughs> which is good enough. Um, McCready's wearing a top hat. Dave A is sweat, a sweat-covered beast with sweat down his back. Um, Matt, you're going to love this because <laughs> we've talked about it so much. Stone is wearing Jeff shoes tonight and velvet shorts that he plays in quite often. And this is what I'm going to say, Matt. Stone doesn't care if it's socially acceptable. He drapes himself in velvet anyway. Oh. <laughs> Ensconced in velvet. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the style at the time. Yeah, just going back to what Buckley said, though. Like Stone was... Stone, this is why Stone is still my favorite. He's just a, <laughs> he's a maniac, you know, he's hilarious. And I don't know how you could play in velvet shorts. I mean, I'm sweating thinking about it. But <laughs> hey, it doesn't even matter that they're shorts. They're still going to be hot as hell. It's like playing with a couch cushion draped over you or something. I, I don't know. Oh, terrible. Uh, then Ed said he gained weight up to about 250 pounds, and he's, which is obviously a lie. Uh, and is sporting a Rock for Choice T-shirt, so which is probably not a lie. And you get a little a little Black Francis mention, a little shout out to the Pixies there too. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't even recognize that. So Black Francis ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that transitions into elderly woman. Uh, they start out a little too fast, and then right at the beginning they they drop pace. So uh, you know it it's. This whole song um, is one of the three or four that is of slower paces, and uh, their identity was so heavy and fast and gritty at the time that this is just kind of a, a hint for the songwriters that they would become later on instead of, like, this is just a one-off 
for versus time period. So, and we don't get but, this a lot because they're spaced out now. But the Better Man into Small Town is it works well. It works better than I thought it would. I agree with that too. Yes. Do you think it would work if they played the epic version of Better Man that they do now with the Save It for Later tag into Elderly Woman, or would that just be a little too awkward? Maybe too awkward. I like I like these versions back to back. Okay. Yes, okay. I, I agree. I agree as well. And since it's Elderly Woman, I think we can kind of move on into Rats. Uh, and I'm digging it. It's a fun performance. I don't, you know, he says uh, he does mention during the the Ben part that Michael Jackson's innocent, so that must have been really early on in all those allegations. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, what do you what do you got, John? Uh, great solo in Rats, and then the the torture and reward outro leading into mm. the next song. Again, just just going back to that rage and anger at the end of the song. He's just just going for it. Yeah, uh, you know, just the identity of and the theme of what this time period in the set is. It's it's, it, it's really fitting. Um, you got anything on Rats, Matt? Um, no, it was super fun. Um, I listened to it on my pretty decent speakers, my, my big speakers that I listen to all my records on in my living room. And, uh, uh, Jeff's bass part sounded awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. Now for the third week in a row, we are going to debut a song. Uh, we debuted a couple songs during the Philly show. Uh, and then last week we debuted sad so this week we're going to debut this. song but we'll play it anyway and um man satan's bed here uh very cool that they're just going through debuting the song and i wonder how how planned it is it it doesn't sound that much different than it did on vitalogy no no it's a like it's a cool uh another little tie-in another little vitalogy tie-in this might be the most together performance of satan's bed of all time there there's never really (laughs) been a really tight well-performed version of Satan's bed. I think this is as close as you're going to get. That's a good, that's actually a good point. Yeah, good you're point. right. It's, it's not, you're right. It's not the most balanced song for some reason. They just, it, uh, it's very hard for stone and Mike to keep up with each other in the song. Cause they're playing two completely different parts. Uh, but yeah, this does sound a little better. It sounds a little easier for them. Um, but it being a new song, 
playing on your cassette tape over and over again. Um, I don't remember the first time I ever heard this lyric, but as a 15, 16 year old, how hard were you laughing when he said, never sucked Satan's dick? Just thinking it was the coolest thing of all time. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. How can somebody <laughs> think that way and write like that? Oh, he's so different, and my mom's going to hate him. What does it mean? <laughs> does Satan even have it? Anyway. <laughs> um, so, cool. Satan, Satan's bed debut there. Cool, rare, and awesome. Uh, Ed says after that they don't have to thank any sponsors because they weren't their sponsors. I think they were the radio sponsors or something. And then says, you're in a position when you're a role model, you got to tell people what to do. And he just says, lead by example or something along those lines. Uh, but here's a dad joke for you. He mentions, he thanks a dude named Harvey Lee. And then says, Harvey Lee, Harvey Lee, get out of my fucking face. A little taste of leash, which is the one song from the first two albums we didn't get. Yep. Yep. Um, and the only song off of 10 that we didn't get is Oceans. So uh, he goes from Harvey Leash, Harvey Leash into Once, which is, again, another note I have. So angry, so fast, and so gritty. That the overall identity of the show, and it wouldn't have really felt the same without their opening track of the debut album. And it's a perfect uh, first encore closer here. Perfect spot. Yep. So, I, you know... Uh, I think once is pretty versatile. I don't think it's can be played anywhere, but I think it can close the set. And especially at this time where you have so much less to work with than you do now. I, I think this, this really fit here. So goes an encore two, And, um, we get back to our, you know, pseudo Foxy mop, uh, crap with, with Oliver twist and the ping pong balls. Uh, and then they jam a little bit. And it sounds like kind of a fun jam. And when I when I looked at Five Horizons, this is really the first show I was able to use Five Horizons for because it uh, kind of faded out around 2004, 2005. So according to Five Horizons, Eddie was actually playing the drum on, on this. I saw that. It says Ed's drum solo. Yeah. Very cool. And you get to hear you get to hear Dave A on the microphone when he comes in and says four feet. Yeah, I, I I thought I read something about Dave, but cool. Yeah. Um, first cover of the night, and it's Sonic Reducer, which was played um, probably more than any other cover at the time. And, and now nowadays where you're getting about, you know, on average three to four, maybe a little more covers a night, um, you know, one sounds pretty good here that it sounds more special that they're playing another band's song but did you uh did you know this dead boys track at the time john i think i had heard it on the fan club single but this version is even better than that this is so fast uh i and i was just getting into punk rock at the time and this is this is one of my favorite pearl jam versions of a cover song i yeah i have to agree it's just again you know it's it it's suited for the time period and and you know, they they do punk songs here and there now and again, but, you know, then they go and do, you know, Who, and they do Neil Young, which are, like, you know, punk-adjacent, I suppose. They're angry like punk, but they're not punk songs, but 
you know, whenever they want to go back to their roots, I feel like Sonic Reducer is the perfect thing for them. So, and if you haven't heard the original Dead Boys version, it's a little slower too. So I think the first yes. time I heard it, I expected it to be more like the Pearl Jam version, and then I'm being impressed that they had messed with it a little bit and sped it up. But also, Eddie kind of sings a little more than the Dead Boys version. They're not really, he's not really singing during that. He's kind of just screaming. Right. It's more of a, more of a grumble. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. Like, again, just make it your own and uh, made it sound good. So after Sonic, uh, Mike plays a little Detroit Rock City before getting into this is John's favorite uh, part of the show here. And. Uh, I'm going to go back to what Buckley said when we did our condition critical version of the Brooklyn show. Um, he says he doesn't like Porch Live anymore because they get into it with that, you know, they ease into it. They don't jump into it like they do here. So yeah. this version of Porch doesn't just jump. I, I told you yesterday, John, that you know that... Matt, do you know the THX thing when you go to movies and, and, uh, and like pushes you back on your seat. It's kind of like a sound test for what you're about to hear. I would recommend that everyone just pause this right now and go listen to the whole version of porch and then come back. Yes. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I don't think we're going to play the full 10 minutes here. We'll play, we'll play a good part of the first two verses, but um, yeah, take your time, go listen to it about like, I don't know, two fifteen or so into that YouTube video. Um, but man, Eddie doesn't even need to be counted in. Let's just fucking hammer it home. What the fuck is this world running to you then? Leave a message, at least I couldn't learn your voice one last time. Daily mind field is cool. Take my time by you. Would you hit me? Would you hit me? To this very day, this gets talked about, this version, how it lasts 10 minutes and it's one of uh, the final times that you kind of see Eddie uh, doing his little scaffold bit, but whew, another one you need a cigarette or cigar after. I think, do, do we want to talk about the scaffold bit? Yeah, uh, I had some, yeah, I had some stuff. You know what? I, I actually, I had... Something from a story, but this kind of explains it a little better. I, I stole this right from Five Horizons. So 
quoting quoting them the whole way, Ed throws the mic stand at a huge replica of Boy on the Cross figurine that's depicted in the Versus book hanging in the background. Ed dons a Cincinnati Bengals helmet and gold bat wings. I don't know what the Bengals helmet is. Yeah, anything. Falcons, come on. Exactly. That's It just seems weird. Uh, and he climbs the lightning rig above the stage. Staying there through most of the jam, he throws down a dummy wearing a similar outfit, and the crowd screams, thinking that Ed has fallen, but he reappears and starts singing again. Jeff kicks the dummy into the crowd where it rips into pieces, and Ed returns to the stage using only his hands on the rope ladder with his feet dangling. Where the hell is that video? Exactly. <laughs> the, the camcorders were so large, I don't think you would have been able to sneak one in. I don't think so either. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with a video cassette that needed to go in there. Right. Uh, but the real question is, how does this last 10 minutes? Because it feels like when they start it, and if they play the whole thing through, it's going to only last two minutes because they're going so fast already that you're you're like, okay, this is going to be done in a second, and then we're going home. But 10 minutes, this version. And a great uh, Sonic Youth tag on yes. this as well. Yes. yes. Not only that, but Voodoo Child a little bit in there too. You notice that? I didn't notice that. No. I noticed yeah. the and- androgynous minds, though. But uh... I, th- I think it was going into where after that, um, going into the solo part. I think he uh, Mike plays Voodoo Child for like a second or two. I guess I'll have to listen to it again. <laughs> yeah, but with the uh, you know, John, you said that you can hear the crowd gasp a little bit around seven or eight minutes in. I can't hear it because it's so much fucking shredding. Yeah, it's it's just it's, pure... it's subtle, I think, but you you do get a little swell. I think if you right before he comes back in on that last verse, there's a little swell of crowd noise, and I I guess that must be it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the band is the so band, loud the... and everything's going so fast. It's 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 hard to pick out. Yeah, the band does a good job of making you not think anything is going on. So again, video would just really do wonders but, and, and porch you know. back then was just it was the showstopper this was i mean it's kind of it's become more of an ending first set maybe ending second set song but back then this was this was the one that you waited for the one that they they would go crazy on and if you were familiar with five horizons i mean that was the thing back then after every show you would go read the five horizons review that was the one like porch was the one that was extended before before black before alive any of that and I think it would be it would be really interesting to see them do that again at a show now. Come back with Porch and like a second encore, and give a ten or twelve. Yeah, version. that would be yeah. But even Porch back then, I think people could have considered because it wasn't a single that it was more of a deep cut of theirs. That if you go to shows and kind of you know know the band on a different level than people listening to their to on the radio would know Porch. But now you go to shows and Porch is one of it's it's an OG. It's it's one of the ones that um, you know people kind of expect that the shows now. It's definitely taken a different identity and a different life of its own, um, especially for people that just kind of cling on to Ten as their favorite album. You know, Porch is usually part of that conversation. So it's it's it, I, I I guess it's more of an expectation now, and that's why you know hearing it live now is so much different than then because back then you're getting not only the fastest performance on the planet you're just you know you're not getting it like how we hear it every night 
So they have one more after this. They kind of pause for a little bit. Um, and some people leave from what I read on uh, on Fiverr. How Horizons. could you blame them after that porch? You would be like, how could there be anything else after that? Right. Yeah. And uh, it's it's our first time covering indifference in, in 10, 10 shows. Finally. I know. Finally. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I think like how, you know. It's supposed to be such a downer, but hearing it live, it's the ultimate sing-along. I don't think it was that at this point. I think at this point, people were just kind of, if they were there, they were just kind of experience, experiencing them until they left the stage. But, um, right. you know, uh, this is kind of, I, I feel like this is a, a clue for what their live shows would be like later on when people would kind of know, okay, they, they start out slow and they close slow and closing with indifference means you got to belt the last final words. Like there is no tomorrow. Right. And it's also a, a learning experience for the bands. Like, Ooh, this, this, this works well. Sure. And Randy, you mentioned the book ending, like it's perfect. The release intro all through the set. And then the indifference ending is just, it's a perfect. I book absolutely end. agree. It's, it's, it's like every song has a reason for being there. Um, it's funny. Uh, so early on in their career that they had this, I don't know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Not like maturity towards building the set, but they had this... Uh, awareness. This awareness, this this vision for bookmarking it like that. Who's going to open and end with two slow songs and have it be such a hit that it's what they do for... The rest of their career. Years yeah. to come, decades to come, yeah. It's cool, it's cool to see where that started so real real quick before we rate the show um we did mention before that eddie dj'd a 45 minute set on the radio from a van afterwards and this is kind of kind of like monkey monkey wrench radio which i real quick john what what is monkey wrench radio to people that might not know well it's just a you know they he would go into the van i think they did this at a lot of the shows he would get like a what do you call it? Like not a ham radio frequency, but like a, like a local radio station. If you were in the area, you could hear him DJ after the set. And then, you know, we go into the self pollution radio the next year where they, they were just kind of, it was kind of loose form bands playing, DJing, playing songs, talking to people on the phone. And then in the monkey wrench radio, uh, just, just the coolest thing for your favorite band to do right they play songs that they like it got it got me into a lot of stuff that i probably wouldn't have been aware of you know growing up in rural georgia yeah and this set i have the whole set written down here this these are songs i i don't i don't really know any of these songs uh real quick i'll run them down cigarettes by king's x uh i only play for money by the frogs Great a song. little story by Daniel Johnson, "Joy Without Pleasure" by Daniel Johnson, and "Drudge's Mind" Sonic Youth, who we mentioned before. "In the Blood" by Mon Honey, "Disconnect" Rollins Band, "Baby Baby Drop." I started to think, "Let Down," "Left Out," "Loud," "At" by Eleven, and uh, a version of "Dock of the Bay" that Pearl Jam covered with Steve Cropper. Uh, that was, I think, like a week before that. So that's 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 what you get when Eddie DJs and. <laughs> uh, at the end of that DJ said, he says that he really hopes that Kurt's all right. So that kind of ties it all together. Um, now let's rate it. How many stick men are you giving this, John? 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. One, one of the, one of the top three, top five shows in their history for sure. Still. Yeah. I, th- I thought that's what you do. You pick the show. That's so right. how could, yeah. 
I was not expecting you to surprise us with, uh, you know, uh, after hearing it again, uh, I got to give it a two. I really didn't like this at all. Yeah. Sorry, I don't think we're ever going to go down to that threshold where it's like, oh, just a two. Like, we're covering these shows for a reason that they're good. We're not covering bad shows. Right. You know, it's, I don't think we're ever going to cover something that that's, it's that bad, but. I mean, I, I think that would be very interesting if we covered something that was just a, a complete train wreck well I think that would be kind of funny a funny well thing. if you're out there and you know what the worst show of all time is give us a holler yeah we want to hear about it matt what are you rating it this gets a nine from me mm. which is uh is that your highest one so far it's the highest i'll give this show's great i have to drive into queens and i'm gonna listen to it again i'm, I'm pumped <laughs> up on it and it's yeah i i have nothing Nothing to say. I like these early versions of songs. I like hearing these overlaps between periods, drummers, albums, live performances. I like hearing debuts. I like seeing completely different sets. So this has them all. And on top of that, everything is performed absolute top notch. So nine, nine for me. Uh, This is an easy nine for me. Um, You know, I don't. I don't ever give tens. Matt doesn't ever give tens. I I would have to be at a show to go higher than a nine. Uh, it's we're we're gonna get we're gonna get one soon. I, I'm confident that we will. Yeah, I have not, a ten in yet. me. I have a ten in me, or or a nine point, another nine point eight in me at some point. Nine, yeah, I got a nine point five somewhere. Okay, yeah. Um, this, but this one though. Oof. I I was really scared about doing covering some ninety shows because I I just thought that you know is it kind of uh out of our out of our wheelhouse here are we just do we just not know anything about this era and having john on helped a lot of getting the perception perspective of this era uh but you know i i didn't even know what to expect and i think that was such a good thing that i went into this and i just said holy shit they never play that like that they never play it like that they never play it like that that i was just blown away by expectations. And even if this is a show for all ages, if it's not played back then, if it's played now, it would still be considered amazing, you know? Uh, and that's why a good performance by a band where it's, it's, it sounds perfect and it's energetic. That's going to stand up throughout all the it's years. Timeless. Uh, yeah. E- even if they played 10, if they played just the album nowadays, who cares? It's it's ten. You've heard it a million times, but if it's played like how it's played on this on this bootleg and this show, it's going to stand up because they sound fucking incredible. This is why you can never judge by what's on the set list. You have to, and I'm learning this as we go along, and this is a really good example because if you look at the set list, you're like, well, of course they're going to play all those songs in that time period. All right, um, John. We thank you for coming on. We thank you for donating. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. This was so fun. Yeah. We thank you for being our friend. You know, yeah, we, we feel like we can make friends after, you know, after the show and just kind of, you know, contacting people and talking to people. You get in touch with us after every show now and let us know. What I you will do. probably continue to email you three or four times every day. So just be ready. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we want. That's what we want. Yep. And also, um, Randy and I, we were talking this week. We are, we are very, very close, right, Randy, to narrowing down the design for the Patreon-only supporter T-shirt. Oh, great. So you will be getting that shortly. Uh, we we're, we're, we just got to make basically that one more decision, and uh, and then they'll be going out. So 
expect that to come. You're going to be getting your 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 donor shirt as soon as we just make sure it's the best shirt that we could that we could possibly give you. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Great. Awesome. Uh, so if you want to be like John and you want to come on our show, uh, you just drop us a line, drop us a donation, and uh, we'd be very, very thankful for it. You don't just get to come on our show. You get a bunch of other things, too. And um, not only that, but we do donations to the charity, too. So that's where uh, a lot of why we're doing this comes into play, because we wanted to give back. So uh, especially around this time of year that's coming up, the holidays, that's that's our goal. We have some plans for it. So keep that in mind as we open up our Christmas shop in a couple weeks and, uh, yeah, going forward. So John, again, thank you so much. And hopefully we can have you on again soon. Thanks. If I could just say one more thing, if I could speak to the band for a second, another reason I wanted to do this show is to remind people how fun shows in Atlanta can be. Uh, for whatever Atlanta did, we're sorry. Atlanta's only gotten one festival show since 2003. The Fox <laughs> Theater is still there. It's still still alive and kicking. We're coming up on the 25th anniversary of this show in about four or five months. I'm sure they would love to have you for a week or so. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Sounds uh, good. And are, are, there, uh, are there decent places in the area for Randy and I to stay when we inevitably travel down for those shows? I have a basement. You're welcome. Ah, Beautiful. Thank you so much. We'll do a we'll do a special Patreon only exclusive episode from from your basement. <laughs> I'm, I'm in it right now. It's very spacious. <laughs> Great. Awesome. All right. Thank you again, John. And uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, guys. You guys do a great job. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to to every episode. You got it. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, uh, let's get into some story time here uh, as we get closer to the end of the show. Uh, first story is from Kurt Kilberg, who was the winner of the Halloween contest that we did. Um, oh, right. Yeah, right. so congratulations, Kurt, and I think by now he should probably have a study. See, we try to make people happy. And if we don't, we'll make them happier. We'll try again. Yeah, we'll try we'll, again. We'll keep trying. We're not happy right. till you're happy. Exactly. We want you to be happy. That's the goal of this. Uh, all right. So this one's from Kurt. Uh, he said, I have the Dissident 3 CD set, but I heard it first on the radio while vacationing in Panama Beach, Florida. That trip was significant because the news broke of Kurt Cobain's death as we drove home. And we talked about that, you know. Right during go and how that really uh i mean it was the turn it was it wasn't just the turning point in the band it was the turning point in music it was so significant yeah it was the turning point for the for the scene and for uh the scene and beyond really and after that i think you you know soundgarden i think hit with black hole sun i believe that was 95 so they had some success, but like Alice in Chains, I don't think saw major, major success after that. Pearl Jam, uh, Vitology was successful, but like it, it definitely went down. There's a, a really good article out there, if you can find it, about the year 1996 in music and how miserable it was. And right. they kind of knock on no code a little bit, but you know, I think they, they, they give it a pass just because... You know, people at that period wanted Pearl Jam and they weren't getting 
you know, we've mentioned that a couple times. It's almost like getting a pass because of what came before it and what came after right. the, the, the quirkiness of no code probably did not help the music scene for 1996. No. I think it took a while for people, especially like you and me to appreciate it years, years ahead right. or, or years in the future. So yeah, that's a really interesting article. If we could find that, I'd love to love to read sure. it. Sure. Uh, I think they said like the best easily, the best album that year was uh, uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. So Ugh, God, I, of course, I do. Of course it would be. I do love that album, but you know, it's. I do not, but that's a discussion for another time. Not surprised. <laughs> All right. Next one is from Mike Chardon, and he's the only person that was actually at this show. Oh, wow. We got someone that was at the show, huh? says it was my first Pearl Jam show greatest live performance I've ever seen after that I was hooked the show rearranged my DNA it's a pretty stiff show there I could see you getting hit hard enough to where you are a changed person for sure yeah uh I remember at some point Eddie mentioning Kurt and I think they played go for it or to him uh the new they knew something was up had an Italian CD bootleg of the show that was my prized PJ's possession recently gave it away to a fellow fan who was looking for it, and I don't even have a CD player anymore. Welcome to the 21st century. Would love, <laughs> would love to watch this as a full-length video if the show exists. Sorry, buddy. It does not. It was really cool of him to uh, pay that forward, though, pay the bootleg forward. Yeah, uh, It's a nice thing, and it sounds like it meant a lot to you, so as a as a fan that would also really appreciate that uh that's that's really cool yeah yeah uh this one's from our pal aurelian hey aurelian and this is for somebody that uh comes from europe how they remember so he says unfortunately the show was not broadcast in europe so his first taste was through the distance single i remember buying the three parts one by one in the course of six months of show so for many years it had been my sole live performance as of PJ, as PJ bootlegs were nowhere to be found in this area. Songs from Vitalogy as well as Sonic Reducer were omitted from the CD release, a thing that I only discovered in 1997-98 thanks to the mighty, mighty internet. I think we had mentioned that too, right, uh, during the show, that because of the broadcast nature of it, I think some songs were, were cut. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure which ones. But, right. Well, I, uh, I, I, I evidently was sonic reducer so uh, i'm glad he was able to hear it eventually though <laughs> yeah you know with some of the bootlegs even now um kick out the jams wasn't on the uh seattle night two bootleg right which is weird because it's been on other bootlegs so i don't know i, do, I, I don't know how that all comes up um, you know maybe if they didn't like the performance they just say 86 it who knows yeah yeah all right this one's from uh, jason groth I was a junior at Michigan State University, as the older people like me will remember, LOL, to get a copy of a live show, you had to trade with somebody who taped the show or go see if your local record store had any new bootlegs. Back then, a bootleg at the record store would cost $50 to $65. That's a ton of money that's for a, a college student. That's a lot for a bootleg now, and I've seen things around that price, especially for Pearl Jam bootlegs, but back then, I mean, that was even more yeah that that that's like the equivalent of it being like 150 bucks now that's a lot that's a lot of money yeah that would be around uh anywhere from 85 to 100 bucks so that's that's a lot of money yeah 
Then I heard the announcement of the live broadcast from Atlanta. That night, my roommates and I, we made sure that we had a blank cassette tapes and beer. I was fired up. I was going to get a free copy of a live show. That night, the only worry was when I was going to flip the cassette tapes as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, first world 90s problems. <laughs> so the recording seemed flawless. To this day, probably still my favorite show. Funny thing is, a year later, the bootleg showed up in the record store and I bought it. So the show still cost me, but I have to get it on CD with better quality. No regret. Yeah, no regrets. To this day, <laughs> I still handle that CD case like gold. Cool. That's yeah. I mean that 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 tells you. It definitely tells you about the time time period. So, uh, Dave Robles, a good friend of the podcast, yep. says. I definitely heard it on the radio, picked up a bootleg from the local used CD store. Remember those? Yeah, uh, I remember those days. I still go to them. I, I would go in and sell sell and buy like 15 at a time. It was insane. I remember. <laughs> you remember because you were there. I remember seeing the Dissident single, but it did not have the entire show, missing the covers and unreleased songs. I'm sure that was a lot of fans' first live concert broadcast or bootleg. I listened to it so often, I'm pretty sure I could quote half the stage banner from memory, which really wasn't much anyway, uh, besides them talking about what, what shirts they were wearing. Velvet shorts. Velvet but, shorts. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I just want the footage just to see those velvet shorts. Andy Hislop says... I recorded it onto consec for broadcast. Uh, you see a little theme here. I had to drag my all-in-one stereo up from the basement to get better reception to make sure I got a good recording and remember stressing out about when to flip the cassette without missing any songs. There Again, it is. There's the theme. Afterward, I made a covers and uh, track list, and because it was the first time hearing what Vitalogy became, having to come up with titles for songs. When Vitalogy came out, I thought it was so cool that I already knew a bunch of songs. We, Yeah, that was a big thing I wanted to know from John. And I think he hit the nail on the head that he was like, yeah, it was really cool to, to get to know these. And once Vitalogy came out, get to see how it all came together. Yeah. With that overlap. And I was also very interested to hear that some of those bootleg CDs that people were buying in the record stores uh, actually didn't have the covers or some of those uh, songs on it. I'm wondering if that was a, a legal thing. Maybe they couldn't release them yet, or they didn't want to release them ahead of the uh, of the album. Right. Yeah, it was probably that because they, you know, keep it fresh. Right. Honestly, they were going to buy the album, but, anyway, which is a little but... silly. <laughs> you know, your show is getting uh, uh, broadcast on the radio, so I guess it doesn't matter because everyone's going to be hearing the songs anyway. So if they're on a bootleg right. album, you know, what's the difference? I saved, okay, I saved the best for last. Uh, this is from FKAFL from Reddit. Oh, fuck a la la la. That wasn't even close. <laughs> it's not the Sofa King. The mad Sofa King. <laughs> oh, man. I was junior in high school. I remember being in complete shock that Pearl Jam was broadcasting a live show. I assumed every band was like Led Zeppelin. I was not aware of their bootleg policy at the time, so I remember feeling a little guilty for recording the show. And what what a show it was. And then afterwards, we were treated to Eddie's radio show. I remember falling in love instantly with Satan's Bed and The Would Be. We'll get to that in a sec. Because that's what I thought he was singing when Vitalogy came out, and I felt pretty stupid. It took me a couple seconds. I'm like, the would-be? What the hell? What What is he talking? Do you even know what he's talking about? 
Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Satan's Bed lyrics now. It's it's not Satan's Bed. He's saying another song. Oh, he thought that whipping was called the would be. Oh, I get it now. I was okay. It took me like a half hour to figure that out because I was reading through it. I'm like, what does he mean by that? I'm like, okay, whipping. Got it now. That's funny. Or I was thinking Better Man too because Better Man. Um, I I don't. I I was thinking like maybe like oh. Uh, this would be a better man to get her. So I don't, I, I, just, I, I yeah, but there would be, there would be, that's funny. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's I, I'd, I'd feel stupid too, but man, uh, we'll have to talk sometime in depth about, uh, hidden, hidden Pearl Jam lyrics and what people are hearing as opposed to what they're actually saying. Well, I guess, I guess when you're hearing it on a, on a radio station like that and he's singing whipping, I mean, who's going to, who's going to assume that's what he's saying in a chorus. Cause it's right. Maybe it should be, would be, it would be whipping. <laughs> it makes more sense at the time when you, you can't figure out what he's saying. Right. Right. Um, lick the dirt off Olajuwon's feet is my favorite misheard lyric ever yeah what's yours hmm i don't know i don't really i don't know are are you just a lyric professional no i just i I, i've never really dove into what people hear i never thought about it to be honest not glorified version of a pelican i mean i might have been guilty of that myself when i was younger so (laughs) that i could completely understand um a little public service announcement for all of you fans who are interested in interacting with your podcast hosts. Live on Four Legs is happy to present a weekly podcast dedicated to the Pearl Jam Live experience. While we try to get ourselves to as many shows as possible, we have only attended a small fraction compared to the entire live history. That's why we need your help. We want to get to know who you are. If there's a live show that you've attended that you'd like to see us cover in our program, please send us an email at liveonfourlegs, that's the number four, liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com. We want to know your entire live experience. Did you once miss a flight? Get lucky in the 10 Club Lottery? Catch a white whale? Your stories will help us mold this into the best podcast it could possibly be. You're already getting to know who we are. Now it's time for us to know who you are. Well, that pretty much uh, signals the end of the episode here. Um, This was a fun one. Thanks again to John Farrar for joining us today. Yeah, uh, it's funny how a lot of people were saying that this was their all-time favorite bootleg or all-time favorite show of the band. And listening to it, I definitely agree this bootleg is is amazing, but I love the tie-in because I think this might be my favorite show we've done so far. I mean, it it was pretty perfect. The show was great. The music was amazing, and I've listened to it a few times, and I'm going to listen to it again today, and I can't get enough of this this bootleg, so I, I think this might be my favorite show of ours. You know, it's funny, like, every week that we do an episode, I'm, I'm saying, like, oh, we, we really, you know, this was the best one so far. It's just because I love learning new things, and I love listening back, and 
Um, I get really excited talking about it. I get really excited thinking of talking points to bring up. So, you know, next week when we do our next episode, um, I'm going to be just as excited about that as I was this week. Do me a favor. Get me excited about it and get everyone else excited about it. What are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to stay in the same time era. We're going to stay, we're going to go a year later when Vitalogy was out and we can kind of, it'll be nice to kind of see what the impact of Vitalogy was as to this point where, you know, they were dipping their feet in a little, uh, in the water a little bit. So, uh, into November of 1995, San Jose, California. I think this is going to be a little bit different than today's because of, uh, you know, you're bringing in a whole new album and they've they've figured out these songs and... They have some lineup change, and uh, it's going to be another good one, I think. I think so, too. And um, it's significant for a huge reason. This was the makeup show from the Golden Gate show that Eddie um, got food poisoning during. That's the one That's the one that Red Mosquito branched off of. Right. And uh, Neil took, uh, you know, Neil played half a mirror, mirror ball with the band. Right. So that's this is the makeup show from that. And I have to thank uh, Mar, who uh, actually in a very early discussion on Facebook brought up this show as one of her favorites. And I said, this is really interesting. It'll get us talking about the other show and without having to play it because it's just, you know, there's not. I don't even know if there's a boot out there. I haven't looked for it, but there's not really much to play. They only played like six or seven songs. So at least now you get a, a feel like, you know, Hey, they're going back to the scene of the crime almost. And you know, they're, they're ready to pay it forward, man. I really feel like I want to tip my hat a little bit for the rest of the year. Should I do it? Or should I just, or should, should I make them wait? Maybe today, you could tease some dates and maybe next week you could tease some, uh, locations. Okay. Um, all right. So black Friday would be the next episode after San Jose. So that's two weeks. Uh, the, just think about the holiday and it's early this decade. So think about the holiday, uh, early this decade and, um, you know, just keep, Keep that in mind. The next week, think about the same time frame that we're doing the San Jose show in, and also think about a live CD that they released. Or we might be doing another show from it. It's the same area. It's a, it's a different continent. It's a continent we haven't covered yet. And if you know that I'm saying continent, I think you can kind of figure it out if you think about it a little bit um the week after that we have a guest a very special guest and he's going to talk about a special show that not a lot of people got to see but they got to witness a lot a lot of special songs that they almost never play uh and then we're going to do this i'm going to reveal because this will get people excited okay uh the week of december 14th we are going to do a poll and hopefully it won't be a, as big of a mess as, as the last one was. But we're going to do our first full album show. So, then we're going to do this for every time that 
we look to look into covering a full album show. We're going to put together a poll. We're going to ask you what you want to hear. And, uh, the winner, the winner each time will be the one that we do. So we don't even know what we're going to do yet. Uh, it'll be 10 from Philly in 2016, Greensville from, uh, uh, actually versus from Greenville in 2016. No Code from Moline in 2014, Yield from Milwaukee 2014, and Binaural from Toronto in 2016. Cool. So early uh, early bets at the favorite. You know, Moline always gets gets a lot of people talking. I've heard a lot of really, yeah. really good things about that. Um, I'm going to be honest. I kind of hope it is not the versus show only because we just did this episode and we just yeah. <laughs> we're you know talking about it now we're we're still really fresh on versus and I'd like to I'd like to switch it up a little bit. So so yeah, hope you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm rooting for either no code or yield. If it's yield, we can have Steve on. Sure. Steve was there. If it's no code, we can have a number of people on because we know a ton of people that were at that show. Right. Um, and I, I just think no code, the Moline show is sticks with people because, uh, that was the first one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And come on. We, I think we would both really love to cover, cover that album show for sure. Of course. Of course. And then, uh, the last show of 2018 before we hit the 2019 season is going to be something a little bit different and we'll say it now. We won't be covering a show. This will be a special version of Live on Four Legs. We are going to do our wish list episode. Matt and I are going to bring a bunch of different ideas to the table, and we are going to sit there as if we were Eddie and Stone, and we are going to create a set list together. We're not going to know what either of us wants beforehand. We're going to talk it out. We're going to play put in some little rules and things like that, and you know, you know, maybe a a little veto for certain songs but we're gonna we're gonna create a set list together um on this and i think that'll be kind of fun you know holiday episode and uh and yeah and and that'll be it for the year and then we'll get into some good stuff in 2019 totally yeah and uh that's all i got for today i think we've talked a lot i think we got a lot of information out there and i'm very excited. I loved this episode, so yeah, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm happy with it. And John was fantastic. I hope we could have him on again. I hope so, too. And I hope we could have some more Patreon people on, because uh, this was uh, a lot of fun. Get yourself to, together, all you patron people. Uh, your show, Hopefully your show can be next. Dreams do come true. <laughs> they can happen to you. Yeah. Uh, although it might be the end, I'm here. But not for much longer. We'll be back for episode 11 next week at San Jose. I miss you already. I miss you always. I miss you all day. Thank you very much. For Matt Helbig and Randy Sobel, you've been listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience. We bid you adieu. Bye. <laughs>